This is episode 230 of Mitch Unfiltered, and yet another week that Hotshot Scott Soden, too busy for Mitch Unfiltered traveling, but we got a dandy fill-in this week. We struck gold. Talk about a pro's pro. A man who can fall on Bourbon Street with three drinks in his hands and not spill a drip. A 10-time prediction show champion, he'll tell you. And the man who was first to call me what, Graz? Mitchie the Kid. <laughs> it's Mitchie the Kid. How are you, Graz? I'm terrific, Mitch. And, uh, and uh, Hot Shots being Wally Pip this week, buddy. <laughs> For a guy who's done it all. I mean, you've done it all from NCAAs to the pros to radio to television. I really want to know, and I think our audience wants to know, where does guest fill-in on Mitch Unfiltered rank in the hierarchy of all the great things that Dave Grosby has done? I ask tongue-in-cheek, Roz. I'll tell you why it's rated so high in the top five for sure. Because it's the first time I've ever been a co-host on a podcast. I thought I figured all the firsts in my life were over with at this point in time. I'm, I'm, I'm old. I've done everything. Uh, I'm, I'm not doing a whole lot anymore. So I figured the firsts were done with. But yet you, Mitch, have created another first for me in my broadcast career. For that, I'm eternally grateful and uh, promise to give you uh, at least my best effort today on show. What is it? 230, you said? 230, Gross. I know you I know you listen to my Pete Maravich spiel on episode 229. Can you believe that they're going to break this guy's record with a five-year senior who's been shooting threes? Talk about an asterisk. (laughs) I I refuse to acknowledge that record. I mean, you know, Mitch, for those that don't remember Pistol Pete, which is just about everyone, (laughs) he averaged, what was it, 44.7 points per game, something like that? Yeah. Remember, he he was on an LSU team that was lousy. Right. They had one, they made one tournament in the three years that he played there. And he only played three years because freshman couldn't play then. And that was the NIT. So not only was he scoring 45 a game without the three, he was on a lousy team for the most part. A team that wasn't even a tournament caliber team. Yeah. He was the best college player, best college scorer by 10 miles. Yeah. And that record will forever be his in my book. Can you imagine had he played four years? And and they had the three point shot because he was a he was a marksman. He could shoot it from anywhere in the gym. He would have scored three thousand more points than the hey, second. You, play. It's it's unbelievable, Grant. I guarantee you one thing, Mitch. He would have had at least two or three one hundred point games. No question about it. Wow. No question about it. He God. would have had a couple of hundred point wow. games. He was that unstoppable. And he, I mean, I remember him as a, as a I was a little kid when he played college ball, really little. But I mean, he was. It was something you didn't forget when you saw him. You know, he was a spectacular, spectacular player. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Mitch Unfiltered is available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe and rate us on Apple. Bonus shows every week. The Mariners' no table is coming. Become a Mitch Unfiltered patron at $5 a month. I've been working on the spring-summer weekly lineup gras for our patron shows, our short shows during mm-hmm. the week. And here's what I've come up with. I've got a weekly show with Danny O'Neill. We call it Puffery now with Danny O'Neill. We Puffery. Sh- we shoot the shit with Slickhawk. You remember Slickhawk. Of We've course. got the Mariners No Table with Jason Churchill and Joe Doyle. We now have a Kraken No Table for the stretch run and the playoffs. 
uh, with a couple of guys. And we've got Play Better Golf. We're going to have golf instruction for our golfers out there with two-time winner on the PGA Tour, Rick Fair. Gross. Another great guy. You're only yeah. missing one thing. What am I? <laughs> what am Just I missing? One, you're only missing one thing as far as I can tell. What can I, what can I do? The Graz says. <laughs> <laughs> Are you open to it? Are you open to oh, it? Of course, uh, I'd be open to it, Mitchie. No, that, that's a great lineup. You got that's and well, Rick Ferris, a terrific guy. He is really a terrific guy. One of the first guys I met when I came out here. So that's a that's a hell of a lineup you got there. But uh, you know, it's it's missing one one element. <laughs> if you want to become a Mitch Unfiltered patron, five dollars a month. Uh, MitchUnfiltered.com. Click on become a patron, and as I always say. If the $5 is a problem, that's not the point of all of this. Just shoot me a note at MitchUnfiltered.com and we'll get you we'll get you started. Graz, as wait, 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 yeah, wait a minute, yeah, wait a minute, yeah, wait a minute, yeah, wait a minute, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> you, you mean I can slip you a note at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com and I can get that for free? You can. Because I'm not earning any money anymore. <laughs> this is my biggest payday in a couple of years. And I think it's five bucks, isn't it? Yes, so it is, yeah. Yeah. All right. I'll expect my email. <laughs> I'll be waiting for your email. <laughs> Listen, Graz. Yeah. I've always said, and this is kind of the warm up segment of the show. We haven't really, we're out, we're out in the bullpen. You and I are playing catch. We're just Got catching it. up on some stuff. I've always said that we're recording this on the day that I believe begins the best six weeks on the sports calendar. Think about this for a second. Okay. We record this on Selection Sunday, which is always a very exciting day. Definitely. Which runs into the NCAA tournament. There's nothing quite like that Thursday and Friday when the NCAA tournament opens and all 64 teams play. It's the greatest, Mitch. It's the greatest. And then it goes to Major League Baseball opening day will be March 30th, which is two days before the Final Four. The Final Four college basketball which wanders into another trip down Magnolia Lane and the Masters. And while all this is going on, you've got the NBA and NHL race with the Kraken to the finish line. All happens in a condensed six weeks in the sports calendar beginning on the day we're recording this. You can't do I know. I know everybody loves the beginning of the NFL season. And I didn't even right. mention the draft. The draft, the NFL draft, I believe, is in that six-week uh, window as well. Everybody loves the start to the NFL season and the college football season, but I got a hard time believing, Graz, that there's a better six weeks than what we're starting today. No, I'm with you, Mitch. I'm, I'm with you. I think it's it's absolutely the best. And, you know, we need to be a little bit more than the NFL these days, folks. Be a little bit more than the NFL. Open, open your horizons to other possibilities in the sporting world. There's all sorts of great stuff going on out there. But, no, you're right. It's uh, it's unmatched. And, and you know, the tournament is great. And, and you know – for me, Mitch, you know, the last uh, I had experience of doing the Seattle U games for, for about six, seven years. And, you know, they played in the WAC tournament every year. And it occurred to me when I was doing those games that, um, you know, for all the uh, and there's really what what are there? Maybe 28 uh, automatic bids that go something into the like tournament. That. Yeah, and, something like that. 30, and there, yeah. You know, you know, a couple of, of big, uh, big schools that are going to get in. But there, there are a lot. So much is up for grabs when those conference tournament starts. And especially in, in one like the WAC, that, that's the start of the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's the start of the tournament because yeah. the winner gets in. So it really, I mean, I would have stretched it out another week and I would include tournament week 
and and call it the best seven weeks because I think tournament week is absolutely spectacular. Yeah. And the games, I mean, I just randomly two days ago turned on Missouri Tennessee, SEC second round, fantastic, just a fantastic ball game. Yeah. There are so many great games on, and now they're all available. You know, with with, with cable, what it is, and, yeah. and streaming, what it is, you can watch any game you want to watch for for really about a about a six week period. And how many years did you call? How many years in between your first college basketball game that you called oh and, and the last college basket? Because a lot of people don't realize that your roots, the Graz's beginning was really college basketball, right? Definitely. Definitely. Um, 44 years. <laughs> and you're only 38 years old. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, first year I did a college basketball game was, was 1975 with Iona College. Did I ever tell you the story about how I got those games and, and how that worked out? I think you did, but tell it again for our listeners who I'll, haven't heard I'll, it. Yeah, please. I'll, I'll tell it quick, okay. you know, because uh, my father was the one who got me into broadcasting and and uh, he was in it. And so I was I was fooling around doing doing play by play and things like that and uh, off the TV. And, and he would you know, judge how I was doing. And, and I would do did it for a couple of years, you know, 13, 14 and 15. And so we're living in Westchester County at this point, in White Plains. And he decides that he's, he's interested in carrying college basketball. I loved it as a kid. And I own a college that's going from Division Three to Division One, And you could just do that then. You just said you wanted to do it, and they did it. So they, they my father went to meet with them, their, their um, Jesuit school, ironically, just like Seattle U was, met with Brother Driscoll and said, let me meet your new basketball coach, and if we get along, we'll carry the games. So they just hired this, this unknown guy uh, at a Rutgers University, and his name was Jim Valvano. Uh. And he had, he had been at Bucknell for a year. And so my dad talked with him. He brought me to the meeting and, and talked with him. And, and it took like, you know, five minutes. And he knew that Valvano was something special. And so he, they, they talked for about five more minutes. He says, well, Jim, you know, this is great. Uh, I think you're going to do a terrific job. I want to carry the games, and we're going to carry the games. This is my son David here. He's 15. He's going to be doing the play-by-play. You'll have to you'll have to watch out for him on the road, but he's he can do a fine job for you. He's and Balvano's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Al, my dad's name was Al. Al, wait a second. What'd you say? I said we're going to carry the games, Jim. We're going to carry the games, and, and we're looking forward to it. He's like, no, no, no. After that, my my son David, he's going to do the games. Yeah, after that. He's 15. You have to take care of him on the road. He's like that. I can't. I can't take care of him on the road. I, I got to coach a team. And my dad was the greatest salesman in the world because he didn't take no for an answer. He just turned the question around. He says, "Well, you have to watch him. He's only 15." Uh, Babano says, "But, but I can't. I got to coach a team. But he, you have to. He's just 15 years old." So Balvano, of course, did look out, out for me after the road. I was embarrassed as hell, but but I did a, I did an okay job for him. He used to make me, he used to bed check me. I used to shoot layups with him, but I got a chance. I, I, I got to work out with, with the team and, and all that and practice. Yep. And I got to be in the locker room before every game. So I saw this great coach, Jim Balvano, and I'll never forget a game in particular, Mitch. The third year I was doing, the first year I was doing the games, they played in a Madison Square Garden triple header. Yeah. They used to have these in New York in, in the 70s and the 80s, Saturday triple headers. They began at 11 a.m. and they're playing in the first game at 11 a.m. against like South Florida or something like that. St. John's is in the major game that night. And Balvano called them all together and said, look, I want everyone in this room to know that in three years, all of you freshmen that are here are going to be playing in the late game at the Garden. We're going to pass St. John's. We're going to be that team. And three years later, last game of the regular season, they played Louisville, featured game at Madison Square Garden. So I started doing games in, in the 1975, did it until 1981 with Iona College, and then did um, did the six, seven years with Seattle U, also Jesuit, which was which was, uh, which was 
personal for me and would have been really exciting to have my dad still with us because he would have loved that. He would have loved to have sold that stuff and been involved with it. But 44 years between games, wow. Mitchie. So it's, it's a first and last love for me for sure. Gross, 15 years old. That's got to be some sort of a record. I don't know that they keep such a thing, but how many 15-year-olds called college basketball ever? But, uh, it's, it's something that I, I the New York Post said it was a, uh, said it was a young man with the mic. Really? So I was the youngest sports director in the country. You know, wow. I'd, I'd send those stuff out for clippings and things like that. But wow. I, I, it was fun. It was really fun. And Valvano was great. And it was big time. I mean, they played they played everywhere those first three years. They had Jeff Ruland and and had had a good team and sure. and um, did my first NCAA tournament game. Actually, I did two NCAA tur- three NCAA tournament games because Iona is officially zero and fifteen in their NCAA tournament history because they had to give back the win they had because Ruland had an agent at that point. Um, but they had beaten Holy Cross. So I, I did I did three NCAA tournament games in 79 and 80. Wow. Which was, which was a, a definite thrill. And Iona's back under the direction of? The best coach in college basketball, <laughs> even though he's a cheating, cheating, cheating uh, guy, Rick Pitino. He's uh, unbelievable, though, yeah. Pitino. Rick Pitino has Iona into the NCAA tournament. I've got Graz on episode 230. Graz, as we continue our bullpen session, I was trying to think, what would our audience want to hear before we got into the nitty-gritty? Because there's a million things that are going on in the world of sports. Boy, you're not kidding. And and we've got to check the boxes on all these things. Otherwise, people won't ever listen to Mitch Unfiltered ever again. But just to warm up, just to throw the ball around – I was thinking maybe a KJR story from the Gras. Story time from the Gras. Anything from your KJR past. And I know there were a couple of uh, go-arounds at KJR for the Gras. Does any story kind of stand out or not? Yeah, a lot of stories stand out for crying out loud. Um, now is when Parkinson's brain gets to me and I start, I start flying in from all different directions. Um, you tell a great one, of course, the Super Bowl in New Orleans, but oh, you know, yeah. there was a Super Bowl in Detroit. That was the last Super Bowl I covered with KJR. The first one actually was was the first or it was the second cold weather Super Bowl ever was in Minneapolis, was the Redskins and the Bills. And actually that one stands out a little bit because um we weren't gonna go and Gary Wright of the Seahawks, you know, said, Why don't you guys come? We'll actually set you up with credentials, we'll make it really easy for you to go. And so we decided to, to make it happen real quick. So we, we did it on, on almost a whim, didn't plan it. So we had to stay about 30, 40 miles out of Minneapolis. But Gary wanted to have a set, he said, I'll have you set up, don't worry about it. And so we went and we set up right outside a conference room in, in, the, in the Minneapolis hotel, whatever that hotel was where they were set up then. And he said, We're gonna have some other stations around too. And there was a station of uh, those KFAN. And this this came to my memory because I watched the Mike and the Mad Dog um, 30 by 30. Yep. And one of the things they pointed out was the time that there were four all sports stations in the country. Uh, there was New York, Philadelphia, yeah. Yeah. Minneapolis, yeah. and Seattle. Seattle. We were one of the first four. One and of the first four. Gary Wright had invited us. And, and actually, there was a station, oddly enough, from Dallas with Craig James, of all people, that were up there as well. And there were three or four stations there. I don't know if this was the first radio row, but I know this was one of the first. And this was Gary Wright, who, of course, you know, as you know, Mitch, was unbelievably powerful in the sure. NFL around the Super Bowl. I mean, sure. he ran things there. Yep. So, you know, the, the the first Super Bowl covered with KJR was part of maybe the first radio row. The last one, 2005 in Detroit. Ah. Now, this is you're, you're in this story in a peripheral way. <laughs> Because Mitch was big time. Mitch was Mitch was the king. 
Mitch was the morning man. It was the dominant factor. Was making more than all of us combined. Oh God! We had a lot of respect for him, but you know, he was he was he was different. We were staying in Warren, Michigan, I know which is thirty miles out of Detroit. <laughs> Just a horror show. Mitch, of course, is at the at the at the main hotel downtown. So all of us are out there. Hugh Miller and everyone is out there. But uh, we all, we're all coming in. We, we, we're doing um, we're doing the Super Bowl stuff, and then we got this this shitty hotel to go back to. So we decide, you know, to have a couple of drinks before we go back. And so me and Softy. Uh, uh, me being just an ultimate juvenile. I can't blame him for this. I, I was the older one. I was 45 years old for crying out loud. We get into a beer fight in the bar. Oh, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, we throw beer all over each other. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> Millen hates it. You know, Rich Moore can't stand it. You know, I mean, me and Softy uh, are laughing like five-year-olds. Gas is shaking his head. You know, no, no one else can believe it. So we go out and and, and so we're laughing and carrying on and, and obviously had too much to drink to get to that fight in the first place. Uh, and so we're walking out of the bar and we walk about five or six steps and I trip. Oh. And I trip and I, I go I go down like a sack of meal. <laughs> And on my way down, Mitch, and this is no joke, I hit my head against one of those giant garbage uh, things, yeah. big container. Yeah. Boom. I mean, I hit it really? bad. And really? and I roll over and I'm like, am I okay? You know, you, things <laughs> rush through your mind right away because it was a it was a big fall. Yeah. And then I hear a voice. <laughs> and the voice is yelling, man down, man down. <laughs> you want to guess who that was? No, tell me. Hugh Breedlove Millen, <laughs> who yells, man down, gets everyone's attention. They run over, they pick me up. I, I, I got a cut over my head, embarrassed as hell, but 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 OK. And, uh, and, and survived it and survived that Super Bowl. Now, you, you, would, you, would, have, you would not have known that story because you, of course, were enjoying caviar uh. and, and champagne in, in your suite in the main hotel. We were out there and worn in a little shitty hotel, but... But geez, I'll never forget Millen yelling, man, man down, down, man, man down. down. Hey, Graz, let me tell you about two weeks earlier, two weeks earlier from the story that you tell. You recall that to to qualify for the Super Bowl that year, they won the NFC championship game against the Carolina Panthers here in, yep. a, in a crazy game. Uh, a loud game. Paul the Allen. Loudest crowds I've ever heard. Yeah. Paul Allen raised the 12th man flag for the first time. You might recall that Rich Moore decided that he wanted to do an all-night show on the Saturday night before the NFC Championship game at a place called the Premier Club. Club yep. Premier or the Premier Club somewhere down in the uh, Soto area, somewhere yeah. down near the stadiums. And he set it up that this guy's going to do from 8 to 10 on Saturday night. Well, Mitch got like... I got like one to three or one to four. So there I am at Club Premier downtown, one to four, and I'm I'm starting my shift. We're going all night to celebrate the NFC Championship game, which is the next morning. And I'm starting to get bad looks at about 2 o'clock or 1.30, 2 o'clock in the morning from the people there, the patrons that are there. One bad look after the other until my producer at the time says to me, Mitchie, we got a little bit of an issue. They don't want you in here. It's lesbian night at the Premier Club. And there I am trying to do. No one gave us that information. 
No one gave us that information. It's lesbian night. It was lesbian night at the Premier Club. I'm, I'm sure not, of it. Not a bad thing, necessarily. <laughs> well, I, I was the only one of my kind uh, at the uh, Premier Club trying to operate a show that was probably not the greatest of ideas. From We came up with some ideas, some good ones, some not so good ones. But that was my night that, before that, that the That was a good one. The, the details were bad. <laughs> We, we didn't, didn't quite. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't look do our little things. We didn't do our due diligence, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> episode two hundred and thirty. The guests on this uh, episode two thirty more than just the Gras. Interview segment number one will be Brady Henderson, Seahawks insider, ESPN.com. We'll talk about Gino. We'll talk about the cuts like Gabe Jackson. We'll talk about the Bears trade and what that means for the Seahawks in the top five of the draft. We'll talk about the Twitter spat between Pete Carroll and Jets defensive back Sauce Gardner. Everything you want to know from Brady Henderson, ESPN.com. Jason Stark, Hall of Fame baseball senior writer for The Athletic. He's down in Florida for spring training going to talk to us about the dramatic impact of the new rules all these new rules that we've got in major league baseball to speed the game up we're also going to talk about julio rodriguez maybe becoming the face of baseball over the next couple of years and then our final guest is a fun one you may not like him maybe you will he's a guy named kevin mcginnis he's a nashville tennessee guy who decided he needed to lose 50 pounds in 100 days, how many of us would like to lose 50 pounds in 100 days? And the way he's decided to do it, he's going to eat nothing but McDonald's for 100 <laughs> straight days. This guy has been on every news show, every television show. He was on the Today Show last week. The world is watching as he as he goes about his business on TikTok, showing the world how to lose 50 pounds in 100 days, only eating McDonald's. I kid you not, Gross. That's, um, the guy's going to die. The guy over under on the rest of his life lasting more than six months is the bet in Vegas. But episode 230 with the Gross doesn't happen without our partners, our sponsors like Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, and experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof. Evergreengk.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. It doesn't happen without Zeke's Pizza. North to Bellingham, coming to Portland this year. East to Idaho, Mark Few has been enjoying the Spokane location, according to reports, revamping the app so that ordering Zeke's to your door is easier than ever, homegrown in the Northwest. Like John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, Fireside is the title sponsor for virtually every fun contest and promotion we run. Beat the boys during the NFL season. And before you know it, the Masters Pool will be here as well. Start your search for a brand new fireplace at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Like the Woodenville Office of Cross Country Mortgage. You're going to hear on this show that Jordan Flowers' team did a mortgage a couple of weeks ago starting in the threes. He'll explain how if you're buying a home, a second home, an investment piece, Jordan's team has creative packages to save you money. 425-890-2957. And Daniel's Broiler, four locations all open and ready to host your special occasion. Bellevue Place is the one that we most often frequent. Less shy, the original South Lake Union and the spectacular location at the Hyatt downtown Seattle. You got to love Daniel's broiler. 
world-class steakhouses. Episode 230 with the Graz begins right now. Unfiltered. I yep. thought it made a lot of sense to give him three years, $75 million. And if he is a pro bowler over the next few years, give him three years, $105 million. I liked it a lot for Seattle. And you know what? 24 hours after I liked it a lot, mm-hmm. I loved it a lot because yeah. I read Daniel Jones's contract in New York. Unfiltered. The only thing that I'm a little concerned about is what the nation's going to do with their glasses as they're sipping when the fifth pick comes up and either they're, they're not picking at number five because they traded out at number five or they picked somebody other than a quarterback is everybody just going to collectively drop their glasses and go what mitch is unfiltered the official start to episode 230 and what a show to be welcoming in dave grosby the gross how many years in Seattle radio and Seattle sports radio, would you say? Uh, 30, Mitch. All right, 30 years. 30 years in Seattle radio. Typically, Graz, when I do these unfiltered segments, we, we save like the very obvious topic for segment one. We do one or okay. two topics. And then after all the interviews, we come back, you and I, and we do the other stuff where I just rattle off a bunch of nonsense that's happening in the world of sports. But... This particular show, I don't even know what that obvious topic is. So what I thought I'd do was list them for you. List the the possibilities for segment one topics, and you can choose the first one. You can, as the visiting team, you call the coin in the air. You call the the toss in the air. Okay, Grog? And I'm not going to defer, huh? You can't defer. You got to pick one. Okay? (laughs) Okay. No deferring. So let's see. What do we got? We got Gino's contract. We haven't spoken about that since last week. Three years, 75 million with a shot of 30 million more. We've got the Bears swinging that mega trade with Carolina and how that might impact the Seahawks who are sitting there draft number five in the first round. We've got some guy who I'm afraid to name that continues to knock the crap out of the baseball in Peoria, Arizona. I don't even want to tell you his name because I feel like every time I mention his name, there's less and less a chance it'll be any good in the 23 regular season. We've got a strange and scary story involving Sonic's great Sean Kemp that happened. How about his week last week? We've got the NCAA tournament brackets that are out, Graz. I've got the winner for you if you want it. I can tell you who the winner is going to be. I've got it all planned out. I I know exactly who's going to be cutting the nets down in the final four. We've got the University of Washington deciding to hold on to Mike Hopkins. They announced that on the Sunday that we're recording this. Is that about money? Is that about hope? Eternal hope. Hopkins remains the head coach of the University of Washington. By the way, his alma mater, his uh, his mentor, his alma mater, mater, uh, is done after 47 years this week. So... There's about five or six of them, Graz. The coin is in the air. You you call the coin toss. Where would you like to start? Well, Mitchie, I mean, you know, I gotta gotta go where our bread is buttered, and, okay. and we're in Seattle, so okay. uh, it seems to me that if you guys haven't talked about Gino, that's the place to go, isn't it? Right. A week ago, when we did episode two twenty nine, he hadn't signed yet, and we were coming up on the franchise tag window when the Seahawks could franchise him. Not that they would have ever done that. And then right, right. after we. Right after he released the show, he went ahead and signed. So why don't you give us your thoughts? I've given my thoughts on some patron shows. 
you got to love the three-year, $75 million deal for the team, right? Oh, you love everything about this deal. I mean, it's. Uh, I think when I did the show with you about about a, two months ago, yeah, this is the sort of number we talked about, 25, 27 million, something like that would make some sense. A lot of guaranteed money, but this is... This couldn't be better for the Seahawks, and and it's not bad for Geno either. I mean, don't don't say that it's charity for him. He, he's 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 making some money on it too. But from the Seahawks standpoint, it allows them so many things. It allows them cap room for this year. Uh, they'd be ha- more than happy to pay him the, the full thirty million in bonuses and Geno betting on himself for that, uh, which is something that he admitted that he was doing. You've got to love that if you're the Seahawks, seeing a, a guy, your quarterback, your leader, wanting to bet on himself and say, "I'll take this stuff and." incentives because I'm going to reach them. So it winds up being, like you said, a $25 million a year deal for three years. But I think it's only, you know, potentially they could be out of it for like $23 million after the first year. Right. If in, in case he completely implodes, which I don't think they expect him to do. Um, it's just, it couldn't have possibly worked out any better for, for the Seahawks. I don't believe, you know, you get a quarterback. Remember, I mean, although he, he kind of slumped a little bit, just a little bit, second half of the season. He still threw for over 4,000 yards, 30 touchdowns, 11 picks, completed 70% of his passes, and you're getting him for, by the time the quarterbacks have signed, Mitchie, by the time everyone has signed, and there's still some guys out there, big guys out there, it's going to be probably the 14th or 15th biggest contract. Uh, That's a bargain from the Seahawks standpoint, and Geno gets more money in one year if it's only the worst-case scenario he gets more money in one year than he's earned in his entire NFL career. Best case scenario, he gets the full $105 million over three years. So uh, it's terrific. He, he understood leaving some some on the table there for them to sign the free agents they need to sign to to take another step to be better. So I thought it was just a, just a great day for the Seahawks. Graz, the next day after Geno signed, the very next day, we heard about Daniel Jones's contract in New York. Right? Insane. So so. Gino gets, in case you really needed to underscore everything Graz just told you, Gino gets three years, $75 million and a chance to make more. The next day, Daniel Jones, who's done nothing, he's done zero, four years, $160 million, $40 million a year guaranteed with the chance to make $200 million over four years, a chance to go to $50 million a year with incentives. If that doesn't tell you what kind of a bargain deal Gino got, and the Seahawks got, then I don't know what well, does. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, it's unbelievable. I mean, it's and, and that's think about how that set the table, Mitch, for all the guys still to come this year. I mean, the prices are going to be sky high. I mean, the Seahawks have got a bargain on a guy who is, uh, you know, and he's a veteran too. I mean, right. it's just, I think it's just a, a tremendous move by the Hawks okay. and, and a good move for Geno too. And they've bent over backwards to all of us that'll believe it. I don't. They've bent over backwards, Graz, to tell us there's no ambulance coming to get you, Graz. Are you okay? Everything all right over there? Nobody's coming to get you right now. No, not yet. Not yet. My ambulance not coming for an hour. No, I'm, I'm, I'm good. Uh, <laughs> I live downtown, Mitchie. The window's open. It's the sounds of the city, butter. So they bent over backwards to, to remind us once, twice, five times that, hey, we could still draft a quarterback at number five. This contract allows us. Graz, quarterbacks, <laughs> they don't grow on trees, they told us. And <laughs> and even they even got Gino. This is what I love. They even said to Gino before the press conference, Gino, we want you to go out there 
and talk about what it would be like if we drafted a quarterback at number five. We're not going to draft a quarterback number five, but we want you to talk about how you'll mentor that guy. You'll be thrilled to have that guy. You'll compete with that guy. So then Gino goes as part of the charade to tell us, oh, it'd be okay if they draft a quarterback at number five. Graz, what percentage would you say that they draft a quarterback number five in the draft? I don't think there's any chance. Well, I, I, I take that back. There, there's the one guy, Mitch. One guy. The one guy. If Your guy. By some miracle. Your guy at Ohio State or no, a no, no. CJ Stroud's going number one. Okay, I mean, he, okay. that's why. Okay. Uh, that's okay. why I think Carolina made the move. But if 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 Anthony Richardson of Florida, who was the freak athlete, who you just get the who, who talked about loving Pete Carroll. Yeah. And said it. Said he loved him. He loved Pete Carroll. He loved Coach Carroll. And you got to know for old Pete here and a young a young buck say sure, that is sure. it, just is just. He's the best. not going to turn away from it. Yeah. And it's, it's the freak athlete. I mean, the, the the guy who could be mentored, just like you said, by a happy Geno Smith. Uh, if by some miracle he's there, they might have a, a thought. But uh, I don't think that's going to be the case. You know what, Mitch? I'll, I'll give you a bold prediction. Okay. Four quarterbacks taken with the first four picks. Of course it is. That's that's if Arizona peddles their pick, which we all expect they will. that they will. And they then will. the four teams, it sets up beautifully for the Seahawks. The four teams in front of them take quarterbacks, and then the Seahawks have their choice of any non-quarterback in the entire draft. Anybody. Any right. defensive tackle, any linebacker, any edge rusher, anybody they want. And I'm telling you right now, Graz, if that scenario plays out, they're keeping the pick. If they trade down, Graz, you and I at our old Alta Cocker age, we are storming the sea. We are storming John Schneider's office, and we're going to grab him by the neck. He better not trade down if he has his pick of the litter, which is any non-quarterback in the NFL draft. I, I agree. No, the impact you get from that guy is unparalleled. I mean, whether it's whether it's uh, Wilson of Texas Tech or, or Carter from Georgia, who I guess they got to be a little. I think it's. Due I, I, on. I think it's Will Anderson, the linebacker. Of Alabama. That's right. who I think Anderson it is. Anderson is the other one. I, was yes. gonna, the, I mean, it's one of those three guys, whoever, yes. whichever one you like the most, but it's one of those three guys. You get the one you like the most. You got to take him. Gotta you got to take him. So assuming someone him. moves up, to, you know, and and Le- Levis winds up being that fourth quarterback going, I mean, you're going to you're gonna have your pick of a defensive guy. That's the scenario that the Seahawks keep that number five pick. Uh, you know, they're going to be tempted otherwise. If let's say, let's say Arizona doesn't trade the pick, they're going to take your Will man from Anderson. Alabama. Yeah. So then the Seahawks are looking at something. Well, they they may want to trade down a spot or two. Right. Because someone may want to get up there and get that. And I can hear you shaking your head, Mitchie. I can hear it over there. <laughs> <laughs> They, they would think about moving that pick because of the capital they can get for him. You already saw that the capital that that um, is given up for for Carolina to move up there. So if if four quarterbacks aren't taken, the Seahawks keep the pick for sure. If not. They probably take the defensive guy because it's still going to be a great player, but there's a chance they they might they might add to their 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 collection of picks and move down okay. a spot or two. I ring the bell. We move to Peoria, Arizona. Oh boy! Do you feel it, Mitchie? Uh, Do you feel it coming? Grise, how many years? J.K. How, fever. How many years are we gonna fall for this shit? It doesn't matter what. <laughs> there's always a player. There's always a pitcher. There's always a player that lights it up at spring training that has done nothing but struggle on the big league level. And we buy it every time. 
We look up the picture of gullible in the dictionary and you see Mariners <laughs> fans over there. Pro- are we, I mean, it's true. He's lit it up. He's hitting 450. He's driving the ball. Four home runs. He's he's driving the ball. He just had a triple the other day. He's going the other way. He's hitting to all the fields. I mean, he looks like everything he was cracked up to be and then some. But we've all seen it. We've seen it on the big league level. It doesn't. It hasn't worked. Are we really going to go down this road and buy in 100% cross? Well, the thing about Jared Kelnick is we'll know the first at bat he has against the left-hander. <laughs> Against a left-hander. Yeah, oh, well, maybe they won't play him against left-handers. Maybe that, they'll play somebody uh, else. I was going to make that point. Yeah, they got A.J. Pollock, who's yeah, a yeah. pretty good player, and yeah. can, can play both. But, you know, the first time, uh, let, let me put it another way, the first time he's faced a breaking ball inside, we know what he can't do. We know what we know it has stymied him the last couple of years uh, where he's been an easy out and an easy mark, and everyone knows it. So if he's not that anymore, we'll know it right away. I, I think they brought in Pollock to platoon him. I don't think they're going to push or pressure him. And I think Pollock is a little bit more potentially than a platoon player. You know, two years ago with the Dodgers, he had 21 home runs. Had a had a. I don't, I'm not a fan of the the new math, the new stats. I don't right. know if you are, Mitch. No, I'm no, guessing no, you're no. not. No. But he was a. <laughs> uh, the only one I look at is wins above replacements. The only one I understand a little bit. And he was he was 2.9 WAR player, so he potentially is a guy. You haven't put all your eggs in his basket. That's the one thing the Mariners have not done. Right. If if Kelnick reverts back to being a a 4A player is what I think me and Stelton called him. Yeah. You know, a guy who's great in AAA but doesn't quite have the major league stuff. Right. They've got some insurance, but he's 23. Are we the pressure's buying? off. We're buying it, aren't we? Yeah, it smells good. <laughs> it smells good. It smells delicious. Oh, no. And you know what? They kind of, you know, doesn't it feel, Mitchy? I mean, we've been here about, you know, close to the same amount of time that a cloud has been lifted from the Mariners after last year. Last year was was a it was a serious rain cloud following that that franchise around. Sure was. That that, you know, they they broke last year and won a playoff series. Yeah. Had a dramatic game in it as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it just feels like the worm has finally turned after 20 years. I the curse so. of Lou Pinella has finally ended. I think so. So in, in that in that realm, phenoms are really phenoms yeah. here. Yeah. Yeah. Julio is really the great player that he is. So Kelnick, he's 23. I mean, this is this is the last hard look they're going to take at him, and he's making the most of it. So um, if he if he, this is why I'm not really upset with what they did in the off season because if some of their guys that they have in house step up a little bit, they're going to be in good shape. Now, if they're not, yeah, the Poto is in the shit house. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you he know, has screwed up. You know, Graz, you said we'll know the first time he gets an inside pitch or the first time he. He bats against the left-hander. I kind of think we'll know when we watch him walk back from the batter's box to the dugout after after, a he, K. after either a K or an O for four with three Ks or an O for eight over two games. To me, part of the problem. Look, I'm no baseball savant. I'm just a fan like the rest. But it feels to me like a big part of the Jared Kalnick problem over the years has been the personality. Has right. been the attitude, has Arrogance. been the, the has been the guy who's is he able to bounce back? Is he able to get over? I mean, baseball's a hard game. You're gonna yeah, fail. You're gonna fail a lot of the time. I mean, Julio Rodriguez. Go back to last year. People don't remember this. Go back to the first month of last Struggled. year. Not only did he struggle, 
He was striking out. Every hard hit ball was at somebody. And all he did for that month, hitting about a buck 80, was smile, 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 and smile. It didn't bother him. Kaunick seems to me, Graz, as the exact opposite. He can't let it go. He's just so fired up and so wound up. I'd like to see how he's going to handle. We know how he's going to handle hitting 450 in spring. How's he going to handle getting off to a a 150 start the first few weeks in the big leagues. Is he done? Are we putting a fork in him at that point, or can he bounce back from that? That's that's a great point, Mitchie. And and when it happens during the, even if he starts strong, yes, he's gonna he's gonna go through an over 12 stretch. Yes, and, yes. And you know, you see him gripping the bat too hard, which yes. doesn't help, or right. or doing doing any getting into the bad habits that he's in before. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Uh, it's uh, I'm glad that all their eggs aren't in his basket, so to speak. That if he doesn't pay off. They've got some other options, but uh, I'm, I'm hoping he does because there are times where he's looked good. They've been few and far between at this level, but there have been times where he's looked good. Yeah. Graz, before we finish up segment number one and we go to the we go to the three interviews and then come back with the other stuff segment. Would you like me to tell you who's going to win the NCAA tournament? The brackets, we have them in our hands now, and we know exactly who's going where. Would you like me to tell you who's going to win and why? I'm going to make it very easy for you, Graz. You're not going to have to do any kind of research for this. How about I'm that? I'm just going to fill out my bracket right now, then yeah. I'm just right in the winner. I'm going to okay. tell you, well, I'm going to qualify what, what I'm about to say by asking you and everybody else, are you a karma guy? Are you a guy who believes that sometimes the stars are aligned for something interesting or acceptable to happen. Are you okay with going in that direction? If you're not, you might not like what I'm about to say. Yes, I can be okay in going okay. in that direction. Okay. So this is kind of a karma and stars are aligned thing. Boy, I can't wait to hear this. One of the best teams in the country, there's no question. They might be the best team in the country. They're a number one seed. Are the Houston Cougars, Graz? They play a brand of defense that maybe outside of Virginia and Tony Bennett is not seen in the country. When you see these guys, if for our people in our audience who haven't seen them play yet, they play incredible defense. Now, they didn't win their conference tournament because their best player, a guy named Sasser, didn't play in the championship game, which I believe, and if my dad were alive today, he would tell you there's nothing better than losing in your conference championship or losing in your conference tournament, it cleans the slate so you don't have to win so many games in a row to win the national championship. Right. So there's this Houston Cougars team, and they are coached by whom, Graz? Kelvin Sampson, one of my favorite people. Kelvin Sampson, who used to coach Washington State. You and I both knew him when he coached at Washington State. Terrific college basketball coach. Great I guy. I don't know that you know this. If you do, you do, and if you don't, you don't. He had a heartbreaking weekend at his conference tournament, his twin sister passed away oh my on, the God, night, on the night before the semifinal. His twin sister passed away, and he's he's operating with a very heavy heart. So you've got one of the best teams in the country. They play great defense. Calvin Sampson will coach the remainder of this tournament or for this tournament for his twin sister, his loving twin sister. Now I'm going to give you a couple of more, Graz. Where's the final four this year? Um, isn't it in, um, I'm going to tell you it's in Houston, Texas. It it is in Houston, Texas. It's in Houston, Texas. And let me ask you this, who will be calling his last final four in his illustrious CBS career 
this coming April in Houston, Texas. Nance? Jim Nance has said this will be his final college basketball game for CBS. Where did Jim Nance go to college where I he was a the room- University of Houston, right? Where he was a roommate with Fred Couples at the University of Houston. So we've got the best team in the country or one of them, plays great defense, Kelvin Sampson operating with a heavy heart. The final four is in Houston, where Houston alum Jim Nance is calling his final final four for CBS after all these years. I say mark it down right now. The Houston Cougars, no Akeem Olajuwon, no Clyde Drexler, no Larry Michaud or Michael Young or Alvin Franklin. No Mr. No Maul, Mitchie. (laughs) Reed Geddes. I said no Reed Geddes, no uh, Benny Anders. Circle Houston right now. Kelvin Sampson and Houston cut down the nets in Houston, Texas as the national champions of college basketball. That's a, that's a great karma pick, but they'll have to get past Indiana, I'll bet. Indiana's where he had his only misadventure as a coach. Yes, and, gonna, and, and, and he got to the Elite Eight in 2003, but lost in the Elite Eight to a Syracuse future national champion <laughs> of college basketball and Carmelo Anthony. Yes, he'd have to get by Indiana. The one team that really scares me that I'm really disappointed that he got as the number two in his region is Texas. Texas is very, very good. I think Texas has beaten Kansas, I think, two out of the three times that they played. And they whooped them in the the championship And they whooped them. And and then you've got got the story. Imagine if Houston, the number one seed in that region, played Texas in the final of that region – for the right to go to Houston, Texas, wow. and the Final Four, there'd be a lot of line on the line for the Austin guys as well. It's it's an amazing been an amazing year in college basketball. You know what else happened this year, Mitchie? What happened in college? The first basketball? time in 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 the six, I think in the sixty four game history of the NFL and uh, NCAA, it's been a sixty four team tournament. The preseason number one team, correct, did not make the tournament. Correct. North Carolina was ranked number one in the preseason. They did not make the tournament, which goes to show, to me, I think college basketball is going through a tremendous transition. And you're seeing, uh, Clark Kellogg was talking about this, you're seeing a lot of teams with 23 and 24-year-olds because of the transferring that's going on now and right. the mid-major guys playing their last year, their graduate senior year. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to see if, if the experts have it right this year because it's been awfully hard to predict what's happening in college basketball, which makes it that much more fun. I'm on the horn. I'm on the edge. I'm on the ledge with Houston. Mark me down, Graz. Gotcha. So gotcha. When, so when Houston becomes the second team in history to lose to a 16 seed in the first round... <laughs> You could Joining say, Tony Bennett's Virginia team, who you brought up before. That's right. You could say, Mitchie told us so. Mitchie gave him the kiss of death as they lose to number 16 in the first round of the NCAA tournament. All right. So, Graz, three interviews. I told you who they'd be. And then you and I, I'm going to just fire some stuff at you. I'm okay. going to fire some other stuff, the stuff that we haven't covered yet, and some other fun stuff on episode 230. 
My man, Jake Flo, Jordan Flowers. He runs the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. He's a jet setter, too. Legoland with the family. A Cavaliers game in Cleveland with Cross Country Mortgage. I hope you don't forget your mediocre friends here in Seattle, Jordan. Never, never. <laughs> All the jet setting, it's just puffery, Mitch. Just puffery. Oh, very good, Jordan. <laughs> very good. Danny O'Neill will be very impressed. Good time to be a buyer in the Pacific Northwest. True or false? Absolutely true. Great time to be a buyer right now. Uh, Buyers are not having to get into a lot of multiple offer situations and escalate like they were a year ago. They're coming to reasonable agreements with sellers, not having to waive all their conditions just to get considered. And they're able to get a lot of credits to help pay for closing costs or even take advantage of helping buy that rate down. And last week, I understand you locked in a buyer with an interest rate, at least at the outset in the threes. People listening to this are going to say that's not humanly possible. True or false, Jordan Flowers, and how? True. So as referenced in the past, we are taking advantage of these temporary buy-downs in the market. What we're doing is taking that seller credit and getting enough to offer the ability to temporarily buy down an interest rate from, say, the start rates are in the mid-sixes, upper sixes, and get them starting at 3% the first year and elevates to 4 and then 5 and then the note rate. But within those first year or two with rates will come down, they then can refinance into that long-term secured fixed rate. All right, so what am I paying attention to if I'm a buyer or seller? What numbers as they come out over the next weeks and months? Yeah, uh, two key markers to be watching is the CPI numbers coming out because the last year's CPI number will fall off, which it was a monster in March last year. If we get a lower reading this year, that will then be indicating inflation is coming down, which will be great for long-term mortgage-backed securities. And then keep an eye on the 10-year treasury. If we can get that 10-year treasury number down to about 3.2, 3.25, it's going to be an excellent time for anybody that has purchased in the last year to look to refinance and lower that interest rate as well. And if you're looking to refinance, if you're looking to lower that interest rate, as well as he says, you're going to call first Jordan Flowers and his team at Cross Country Mortgage phone number. 425-890-2957. Jordan Flowers, the Woodenville office of Cross Country Mortgage. Great, great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Unfiltered. Geno Smith and the Seahawks are finalizing a contract extension according to ESPN and multiple reports. The deal, once completed, will be for three years and $105 million. Sources confirm $52 million coming in the first year. The 32-year-old earned a Pro Bowl nod in the league's Comeback Player of the Year award after spending most of the past seven seasons as a backup. So we decided a week ago that we needed a Seahawks segment with ESPN insider Brady Henderson, my buddy, for this episode 230. I figured that we'd have news on Geno Brady. Check, and I'll ring the bell. I figured that we'd have more on who might be drafting ahead of the Seahawks in next month's draft. Check. I even figured that there'd be some salary cap casualties and available free agent news. Check. But what I had no idea that we'd be talking about is career hole-in-one number three. Oh, my God. Three. I only have one. three career holes-in-one, the latest of which in California last week. 
Do you want the Masters music? Do you want Steve Dion to insert the Masters music here? How dramatic was it? Three, a 270-yard par three into the wind with like a utility or a three-wood. What was it, Brady? Not quite. No, it was. A, <laughs> I wish. I wish. Now, the, the more I tell the story, the closer it's going to be to that. Uh, uh, it's going to end up being, you know, a 200 yard four iron that I just one hopped and in. But no, in reality, it was a very short par three. Uh, number 17 at Tockwitz Creek, the resort course in uh, Palm Springs, California. It yep. was a very short par three about played about 100 yards. So hit a gap wedge through it about 25 feet past the hole, spun back, got some help from the slope on the green and uh, we saw it drop Beautiful. and there it is right there. Ladies and gentlemen, did you hear how he said he threw it past the pin? He threw it past the pin and then he spun it back into the hole for career hole in one number three. So he's smiling and he's a happy camper and that means we're going to get really good information out of uh, Brady Henderson of ESPN.com, ESPN for the Seahawks in this segment. Let's start with Gino's deal, Brady. Three years, $75 million base, $30 million still on the table in incentives. Everybody is talking about how team-friendly that deal is. And had you told me, let's say, a week or two ago that that was going to be the ultimate deal, three years, $75 million with a chance to earn more in incentives, I would have thought, okay, that means he went to free agency they exposed him to the market. He went out there and looked for an offer. He didn't get one that was mega, 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 and he came back and he signed that. I'm a little surprised that they were able to get this done before he went to free agency. How about you? Yes and no. And I, I was thinking that he would get to free agency just to, in order to be sure that he was getting the best possible deal for himself. The lesson here is that when you've got a veteran agent like he has in Chaffee Fields, you know, those guys and in some cases women, there's a number of female agents as well, but they can they can get a feel for what a guy would be able to get on the open market if he got there. And a lot of times those discussions happen at the scouting combine. Now, you're technically not allowed to negotiate uh, deals with other teams uh, before the start of free agency, but. I think you could speak in hypotheticals and a good plugged in agent can get a feel for what kind of money would be out there for uh, his or her client. So I don't think it's a coincidence at all that this deal came together after the scouting combine. Uh, it's not surprising to me that it was three years. I all thought all along that that length of deal made sense for both sides, given Gino's age, okay. uh, given the flexibility that that both parties would want to have. That's this means the Seahawks aren't committed to him for you know three four years like they would be on a longer deal, and it means Gino if he continues to play like he did in 2022 that he would get back to the negotiating table uh, after two years as opposed to three or four. So the length of the deal made sense. The timing when you really think about it made sense, and boy that number. For the Seahawks, and, and we can dig into some of the specifics there. But uh, the bottom line is this contract gives Seattle a ton of flexibility. A ton of flexibility, even with the draft at number five. And a little behind the scenes on Mitch Unfiltered here, Brady is having this conversation, this entire conversation with the Strixon ball in his fingers, the hole-in-one ball in his fingers. By the way, what hole was it that you made the hole-in-one? What hole? Number 17. Okay, so did you use it on the 18 or you put it away? You know, so foolishly, I used it. I was, I wasn't thinking. Yeah, I, I mean, I could have hooked it out of bounds too, and there goes my hole in one ball. Yeah. But uh, instead, I piped to drive. Don't you like love Brady? How all of a sudden, how public the Seahawks are 
about their intentions with the five pick overall. Quarterbacks don't grow on trees. We're really, we're, we, this is a rare opportunity for us to explore all the quarterbacks. They even had Geno, after he signed the contract, say, you know what, I'd embrace them drafting a, a quarterback at five. I'll compete with him. I'll mentor him. This is a, this is a breath of fresh air that we're finally getting to know what the Seahawks are thinking heading into the draft. Or it's as Poker Face would say, Bullshit. Which one is it? You know, I've I've picked up a little bit of both. Now, the comments that Schneider made uh, and, you know, it, I, I guess a lot of times these are questions that they're being asked. It's not like they're volunteering this information. So, you know, when Schneider said at the combine that those guys don't grow on trees, that to me actually kind of felt like he was maybe trying to sort of get it out ahead of what might be some negative reaction if they did spend an early pick on a quarterback. Now, when I hear Carroll talk about it, it, it sort of does sound more like gamesmanship to me. And I think that if they were truly dead set on drafting a quarterback early, it would not behoove them to tell other teams to, to put that out there like that, <laughs> that they could draft a quarterback because, you know, that gives other teams uh, that would give them incentive to try to move up ahead of the Seahawks to, in order to get what might be Seattle's guy. So I, I, I still, I do think there's some truth to it that they could draft a quarterback and going back to the Geno contract, the key word there is flexibility. It does give them flexibility to do that uh, because they're not really committed to Geno for, for more than one season if you really look at the details of, of the deal. And so I still think it's more likely that they go defense heavy with their you know first and second round picks, but I don't think it would shock me. It wouldn't shock me at all if they took a quarterback. Maybe uh, you know, it's a Hendon Hooker type guy in the second round. Oh, 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 uh, oh, oh, okay. I thought you are saying it wouldn't surprise you if they took a quarterback at five. I don't think so. I don't think so. I would be stunned if they stayed at five and took a quarterback, which I guess would be like the fourth or fifth quarterback off the board. Let's talk about that. With the Bears now getting out of the top five for now, and great news for anybody who wants to draft a defensive player, all that's left is the Cardinals at three in terms of teams that don't look like they're going to draft a quarterback, and everybody's reporting that by the time we get to the draft, the Cardinals will trade out of that spot as well. If four quarterbacks go, and then the Seahawks are on the clock, it's going to be very difficult for John Schneider to sell to any of us Hawks fans the idea of trading down with both Will Anderson and Jalen Carter and every other non-quarterback in the entire draft available to them at their fingertips. Could you still see them trading down if four quarterbacks are taken ahead of them at five? No, no chance. No chance. And, and, you know, I've covered the team long enough to know that you shouldn't say no chance because <laughs> anything can happen. But that would be the dream scenario for them. If, if they were if they wanted a defensive guy to have your pick of every one of them, uh, I, I imagine that, you know, Will Anderson is if he's not the, the best defensive prospect, he's certainly the he'd be the safest one because there's no you know red flags on him like there are with Jalen Carter. So four quarterbacks going ahead of them, I think that would be a dream scenario for them. And, and the only way I could see them taking a quarterback, it would have to be their guy, right? Like I, I think maybe they, they might have one guy that they would take with that pick. I don't think it's like, you know, they would be so in love with three guys. I think it would take them truly falling in love with one guy and that one guy falling to them. So I, I just think it's more likely they go defense than quarterback. You mentioned Jalen Carter, and that's an interesting story. His involvement in that car racing, a uh, couple of fatalities, 
Do you think that that will have that news will have any bearing on the Hawks' decision, considering their history of picking people with lingering issues, uh, legal issues, kind of circling around their heads? I don't know how it couldn't. And, and and this was not, you know, the 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 story, the tragic story that came out uh, about the car accident that he was uh, involved in. That that was not. I mean, certainly that's the worst that uh, has happened. But that's not the 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 first thing that you know has been sort of a um, a ding on this guy's resume at the risk of sounding callous. They've known about him, and and I imagine that they've had some concerns, like every other team has, just because the sort of book on him was that uh, there was some you know maturity questions and some uh, decision making questions about him. So I don't think this would totally be a shock to anybody. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned the sort of history there and I'm, I'm guessing that you're referring to Malik McDowell and now two different players, two different human beings, different personalities, but Frank Clark. Yeah. And you could argue that that worked out pretty well for them, despite, you know, the, the initial backlash. Oh, that oh, they I'm faced not. Yeah. I'm just pick. saying, I'm saying picking a guy with stuff hanging around at the time that they pick him. Yeah, and I think the the lesson with Frank Clark uh, was that they every sort of situation is different, and I don't think they just put guys in a bucket of, hey, this guy's got red flags, personality red flags. It's They dig into every single situation. Uh, some of them they're comfortable with, some of them they're not. I don't know where they would fall with Jalen Carter, but I think the incident and the other stuff before that, just the questions about you know some of the the maturity, I, I think that would give them some pause there at number five. He's a great player. There's no question about that. Gabe Jackson release and others. I'm hearing Shelby Harris might be next. I don't know what your information is on that. Gives them some cap relief. The Geno cap number is not big this year. What is it? Ten and change? Gino it's around ten million. Yeah. yeah, which is very very small for a quarterback. Now, of course, you're. Your role on this show is always to remind Mitchie that they very rarely spend in free agency, whether they have the money or not. So I understand that we're entering into that realm. Might they spend in free agency this time around? And what position do you think they'll spend the most free agent dollars on in free agency? I think it's the same position that they're going to spend their most draft capital on or same part of their defense, which is the front seven, which, as we know, it needs a ton of work there. And I know they've got the two first round picks, the two second round picks, you know, four in the top 53. But you just can't totally remake your front seven with rookies. You're just you're really asking for it there. So I think they're going to have to sprinkle in some veterans there, whether it's veteran middle linebacker that maybe happened to play in Seattle for a decade and was ah. the best defensive player in franchise history. Ah. Maybe there's another former Seahawk. Frank Clark is a guy who is, has recently become available and you might be able to get him at a discount. Leonard Floyd is another guy with some ties to Seattle. He hasn't played for them, but he played for defensive coordinator Clint Hurt in Chicago, and he recently became available thanks to the fire sale that's going on with the Can Rams. Can I sell so you on the guy in Philadelphia? Can I sell you on this guy Hargrave, the defensive tackle in Philadelphia? Sure. Go right ahead. Yeah, and that, that's that's a <laughs> that's position that money, they need. Though. That's big money, and they don't do right. that. That's a big money free agent. Right, and I'll, I'll remind you of, of this stat. So the highest paid free agent that they've signed under Pete Carroll and John Schneider, meaning a, a guy that they've plucked from another team, it was actually last year, Yuchenna Nwosu, and the average of his deal was right around $10 million. So they have not gone out and spent more than $10 million per year on another team's free agent under Carolyn Schneider. So 
And I don't think this is the year that that's going to change. So I think it's going to be those second wave, third wave of free agencies where they sit back and they let other teams spend the big money and they look for the values, you know, about three or four days into free agency. What does the Brady Henderson index state as the percent chances that Bobby Wagner returns to Seattle on a free agent deal and ends his career with the Seahawks? I will say, what's half of 54? 27. Yeah, about 27. Well, here's the part of it that's a little confusing to me. He thinks of himself, and he should, because he's a second, wasn't he a second team all pro this past year? Didn't pro football focus have him as the number one linebacker, number one rated linebacker in the entire NFL? So he's not looking at himself as a guy that's going to go somewhere ceremonially and and not make a lot of money. He's got to still be looking in the mirror and say, hey, I want to be paid. I want to be paid like the second team all pro guy that I am. And that might knock the Seahawks out, right? It could, yeah. But I, I would think that he would also, you know, be realistic about the fact that he's 32 years old. And, you know, he just saw, as we're recording this, you know, the Rams just traded Jalen Ramsey basically for pennies on the dollar to Miami and got a, a third round pick and a, yeah, there you go. Cue the celebration <laughs> by Mitch Levy for a, a third round pick and a tight end that had one catch last season. And I imagine that part of the fact that they couldn't get more was that other teams were concerned about what kind of contract Ramsey would ask for. Wagner is three years older than that. So I I think he would be realistic about the fact that there's just not a lot of money out there for guys on third and fourth contracts when you're over 30 years old. I'm just going to throw out a number there that I think would be probably the most generally that Seattle would be willing to go. I I don't think they would go more than $10 million. Again, that's that's sort of their been there the highest they've ever gone in terms of an outside free agent. Right. And that was a guy who was 25 years old. You know, that was Yuchenna Nwosu coming off his rookie deal. This is a different situation. The other position that you might see them spend some money on a free agent, it's not going to be a lot of money because this position, typically a free agency doesn't doesn't yield a lot of money, is a center. They need a center, and there might be a veteran center. The guy from Tennessee was just made available. He made the Pro Bowl last year. He's 33 years old with some injuries. There might be a free agent center out there that rather than go into the draft – and try to pluck a guy and assume he'll be ready, even the guy from Minnesota, assume he'll be ready opening day to be a quality center in the league. It might be more comfortable for them to pick somebody that they know is ready to come in and play. Let's go through, Brady, before you finish, just kind of the offseason checklist. Quick comments on these positions, and let's start with the offensive line. We'll start on offense. To me, the offense is about two positions, offensive line and wide receiver. Let's start with offensive line. The center retired. They cut the right guard. They brought Phil Haynes back. I don't know if they're comfortable with him being the starter at right guard. Talk to me about the checklist for the draft and free agency along the offensive line. Yeah, the money that they're paying Phil Haynes, it's not astronomical, but it's money that suggests to me that he's going to be their starter at right guard. Okay. Uh, they're set there at least for one more year with Damian Lewis. I still think they could they could draft a guard you know within the first five or so picks just because uh, you know both those guys are going to be free agents after this coming season. But it's less of a priority because you've got those that position set for this year. I think center is definitely a position they could draft early, and uh, I you know I wouldn't be opposed to them. I don't think anybody would be opposed to them spending you know a little bit. 
of money on a veteran guy. I think that if they were to have gone with the rookie quarterback route uh, or even Drew Locke, then having a veteran guy would have made a lot more sense there. But because Geno is totally in command there, you've got a veteran starting quarterback. You could afford to, I think, have a rookie there and go through the rookie growing pains there because you've got some veteran players around him. So that position has been a revolving door for the past decade. I think it's something like 11 different starters that they've had players who have started at least one game there over the past 10 seasons. So this could be the time to really try to solidify that spot for a number of years. Okay, wide receiver is an interesting one because on on its face, they've got two quality starting wide receivers. Somebody might say, oh, just go get a nice journeyman who can be reliable as the third wide receiver and you're set. But the other people like me who are pessimists that always look at the glass half empty as opposed to half full will ask the question, what happens if DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett as they get older miss a substantial amount of time. What if DK Metcalf goes out with a knee and misses six or eight weeks or more? Then they're really, really stuck with Tyler Lockett and whoever this journeyman third receiver now is the second receiver. I think they need to spend some equity on a quality young wide receiver. I even made a bet with Slickhawk on, on Unfiltered that one of the picks in the first two rounds, they'll have at least four, maybe five if they trade down, I believe will be a wide receiver. I may lose that bet. What do you think about that position? Yeah, I, I think I would give even money on that bet. I, I think that's a decent bet. It's just one of those deals where, you know, you could talk about all the draft capital they have, but then you start saying, well, they need an outside linebacker. They need a defensive tackle. They probably need two inside linebackers. They need a starting center. That draft capital kind of runs out to, to get, and you get to the point where, Maybe it would make sense just to, you know, try to go find another Marquise Goodwin short term band-aid type guy. Maybe it's Goodwin himself. If you could get him back on another minimum salary deal, that would be a pretty big bargain. But whether it's in the draft or free agency, they've got to solidify that spot just because you can't count on D. Eskridge. I'm not totally writing him off because we've seen players, you know, come back from being written off. But you just can't count on him either. You just can't count on him to stay healthy or to really be ready to play on the mental side just because he's missed so much time. And that's part of the reason why he just hasn't really picked it up yet. You've got to do something there. And it wouldn't shock me either if they spent a, a second round pick on a guy. The Marquise Goodwin thing is OK as long as the two guys don't get hurt. But if one of those guys gets hurt and then Marquise Goodwin is your number two wide receiver, you're really up. You know what's creek without a paddle. That's why I'm saying it's got to be a third receiver who's a quality number two receiver in the event that one of the two guys gets hurt because, I don't know, you're really rolling the dice assuming that a guy like Tyler Lockett especially is going to be able to get through 17 games at his age for as productive as he is. All right, we talked about defensive tackles, so let's skip past them. Linebackers, we've mentioned two starters or one starter. Two new starters or one starter at linebacker. Two. Yeah, two. I mean, Cody Barton's a free agent. I think that's a guy who they would have been looking to upgrade from. But now especially you've got Jordan Brooks coming off the torn ACL that was in December. So that could keep him out past, you know, the start of the regular season. In fact, it's the timing of it suggests that he's probably not going to be ready for week one next year. So uh, that's why I think Wagner could make some sense. And I also think that if Brooks was healthy, I think they totally would have been looking to move on from Cody Barton. But actually, the, the fact that Brooks is hurt, 
I wonder if that could actually make them a little bit more inclined right, right. Uh, to consider Cody Barton kind of a, a plan B in free agency, just because are you really going to want to put two new guys in there and have them learn everything? Or would it make more sense to have Barton back in there, a guy who knows their defense, a guy who's been in the league, got some starting experience. So uh, I wouldn't rule out him coming back if it's for for a couple million dollars. I think that could make some sense with Jordan Brooks's situation. How about the corner position? Are we sticking with Tariq and Jackson on the outside? Maybe Trey Brown with some competition there and Kobe Bryant on the inside. Are they going to stand pat? With that trio at this point, I think that's a spot where they're in a pretty good position to where I don't think they feel like they have to upgrade that spot. Like they could roll with the options that they got. Obviously, Tariq Mullen is entrenched there. And I, I wonder if actually I, I may have mentioned this before, but I wonder if the move there is to move him to the left side where you want your best cornerback playing. But at any rate, they've got Mike Jackson there, who was a capable starter. They've got Trey Brown there who has shown that he could be a capable starter. So it's not a huge need for them, but that is a position where if the right guy fell to them, yeah, I could totally see it. If it's, uh, you know, the Georgia guy who's got Seattle ties, uh, Keely Ringo, I may be mispronouncing his name, but somebody like that who maybe falls to the second round uh, and is there for them that, yeah, I think that could make some sense there, but I don't think it's a position they're going to go into the draft feeling like they have to upgrade. And finally, safety. I'd imagine you're going to tell me uh, obviously Adams and Diggs, and then the Ryan Neal story. This week, I believe, a qualifying offer is probably coming from the Seahawks, if it hasn't been already, which would give the Hawks a right to match the restricted free agent or get compensation if they don't match an offer sheet. How important is it for Ryan Neal to be back, and do you think he will be back? 100%. He's going to be back. Yeah, whether it's on a restricted free agent tender or maybe even a multi-year deal. Uh, remember, they did that two years ago. I think it was with Puna Ford where he was a restricted free agent like Ryan Neal is now. You know, they did a two-year deal with him, which basically got him a little more money than what he would have made on just the one-year RFA tender. And it, it pushed back his free agency by year. I think that would make sense with Neal to, to do the same thing with Ryan Neal is he gets a little more security than he would on just the one-year tender. And it also buys them some time to figure out whether Jamal Adams, whether he can stay healthy, what he's going to look like in their defense if he does stay healthy. I think that's a move that would make a ton of sense is to sign Ryan Neal to a two-year deal maybe a two-year, $10 million deal, something like that, okay. uh, that buys them more time to figure out what's going to happen with Jamal Adams. And I saved the most important question for last with the three-time hole-in-one member, Brady Henderson, who's still holding the Strixon ball that he and Hideki Matsuyama use. They're the only ones on the face of the earth who use a Strixon. <laughs> um, who's winning right now? The Sauce Gardner Pete Carroll social media brouhaha. Who's in the lead? Is Carroll in the lead or is Sauce Gardner in the lead? I think Carroll was the, the 18 hole, 54 hole, uh, and 72 hole leader really? in that one. Yeah. yeah. I think he is. Yeah. That was, that was kind of a bizarre comment from uh, Gardner. I don't know. I don't think he necessarily meant any ill will towards it, but Pete Carroll's had some fun with it. And uh, whether it's Pete Carroll tweeting or somebody else tweeting on his behalf, those have been kind of funny. I know there's no off season in the NFL. There's no off season. For Seahawks insiders at ESPN.com, but I hope that you're enjoying your time away from Mitch Unfiltered. But I hope you're not enjoying it so much that you'll say to me, oh, I'm not coming back next year. I've been tendered an offer from somewhere else, and you never tagged me, Mitch, so I'm going somewhere else. Brady Anderson, ESPN.com, Seahawks insider, with all the appropriate Seahawks news as we begin March. Thank you. Thank you, Brady.
All right. Thanks, Mitch. Thanks for having me. Hey, look who it is. Lindsay Schwartz, Daniel's Broiler, my favorite place for special occasions. How's everything going over there at Daniel's, Lindsay? Hey, Mitch, it's going great. Month of February, Valentine's Day, of course. Super busy night for us. Great month for us. We're excited for February. You know, it's award season in the NFL. And I thought, let's give out some awards to the Daniel's Broiler menu. Are you ready to humor me on this? Let's do it. Okay. Geno Smith was recently named the comeback player of the year in the National Football League. Is there a comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler? You know, I love it. I love it, Mitch. There actually is, believe it or not. No, there clearly is. Okay. And it's it's the oysters on the half shell. It's the raw oysters. It was uh, Daniel's staple for years. Very popular item. And during the pandemic, it was harder to get. You know, we were open for a while, closed for a while, open for a while. It, it was just too difficult to manage. And uh, we missed it. And we finally brought them back this past year. Of course, has been a huge hit. A uh, huge Huge comeback. Comeback player of the year for sure. Raw oysters on the half shell. The comeback player of the year at Daniels. Now we've got two great rookies on the Seahawks. Tariq Woolen, Ken Walker and others. Is there a rookie of the year? A newer item on your menu that gets acclaim? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, let's go with the Piedmontese filet, imported from Italy. It's grass-fed, a little bit different texture than what you're used to, and and really delicious. One of my favorites. Got to be the rookie of the year. And then there's the biggest of the big, the most prestigious award, the MVP, the most valuable player, or in your case, the MVI, the most valuable item on the Daniels Broiler menu, and it goes to which one? I mean, we got to go with the old standard. By we got to go with the number one selling thing on the menu. We're a steakhouse. We're known for steaks. And the best seller is the filet mignon. It comes in two sizes, the 8-ounce, the 12-ounce. Can't beat it. It, it. It's the goat. It's the Tom Brady of Daniel's Broiler. And uh, I just don't know how anything else could be the MVP. The ribeye doesn't compete, huh? I mean, they're all good. I got nothing bad to say about any of them. But you asked me for the MVP. I, I Like I said, I, I got to go with the goat. The filet mignon is the MVP. MVP, the rookie of the year is the Piedmontese and raw oysters on the half shell. The comeback item of the year at Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. The game was more entertaining. It was fun to watch. Uh, it's really encouraging whether we can get to that in the big leagues. I'll believe it when I see it. But I do think this is the beginning of a process that hopefully will make the game more entertaining at its current version. Our next guest has been prancing around baseball spring training like the cat who ate the canary. Or is it more like a chicken with his head cut off? He'll have to answer that question. All while his alma mater is divorcing their basketball coach after 47 years, Jim Beheim. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a long time. It's tough to get him on. I'm telling you, he's the toughest get in show business. They're irrepressible <laughs> baseball writer, talker, podcaster for The Athletic, my friend, Jason Stark. How are you, Jason? Mitch, I'm good, man. How's everything with you? Everything is good. Where are you in Florida? Where are you in spring training? I'm in beautiful Clearwater, Florida. Um, <laughs> very possibly the the most attractive spring training destination in the state of Florida, although I do drive a lot. Why is it the most attractive destination? 
Well, um, people who are Arizona spring training people are always bragging to me about you know how few tanks of gas they have to use up <laughs> and how little driving they do compared to me driving a thousand, two thousand miles every spring. But in Clearwater, Florida, there's this body of water known as the Gulf of Mexico. And uh, if I'm not working too late, which I am too much, <laughs> there's a big ball in the sky. It's orange and it drops into the big blue Gulf of Mexico every night. And it's something to see. It and, is. I recommend it highly. And what body of water do they get in Arizona when they when they cover the practice? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Still waiting for that answer. Uh, do you want to talk first about Bayheim or do you want to talk first about baseball? <laughs> do we need to get the Jim Bayheim stuff out of the way? Uh, 47 years. 47 years he yeah. was the coach. You know what? You know what's funny to me is I still have people that come up to me after 47 years and they say, is Boheme going to retire or is Boheme going to stay? <laughs> no, people still can't pronounce the poor guy's name. I don't know how many national championships or how many games you got to win <laughs> before they before it becomes a household name. Uh, but um, we don't have to ask that question anymore because we have an answer. And I don't know about you, Mitch. I think it was time. It sounded like listening to him at that press conference. He thinks it's time. And you know, I don't know how how well you got to know him in your time at the Q's. Uh, uh, you know, I made made quite a few visits up there over the years, and. This was my favorite Jim Beheim exchange, okay, where I was asking him one time, they had a really good team. And I said, I was trying to get the lowdown on how do you get these great players to come to Syracuse? Not the weather capital of the world, as you know. And he said, you know what? I'm sick and tired of all you media guys asking me why players go to Syracuse when all you media guys went to Syracuse. <laughs> Good point, right? Good point. Hard to argue. We can relate. Hard to argue. Uh, yep. Jason Stark of The Athletic, baseball's man, new rules, pitch clocks, disengagements, defensive shift regulations, larger bases, like them, hate them, love them, undecided. Where are you on this, Jason? <laughs> well, you know, I am Mr. Rule Change. I've I've spent the entire spring, at least the portion where I've been in spring training, writing about the rule changes, talking to, to players, coaches, managers, people in the game about the rule changes. I am heavily in favor, which doesn't mean there haven't been issues, but Mitch, the games are 25 minutes shorter than they were a year ago. Uh, they were, they're 30 minutes shorter than they were during the regular season. And like, if you start doing the math on what that means, I haven't checked on the Mariners, but a lot of teams have gone to 6.40 p.m. starts, weeknight games. And MLB thinks there's a good chance the games this year will average 2.40, and a lot of them will be less than that. So if the game starts at 6.40 and it ends after 2.40, it's over at 9.20 at night. Like, when's the last time we lived on that planet? Uh, 1977? It's incredible. So how's it going to change the game? More offense? More stolen bases? More runs scored? What's going to happen? I think you'll see all of that. I mean, most noticeable thing, I think, is the games have so much better rhythm with the clock. 
and nobody misses the dead time that gets vacuumed out of the games that used to be there. I, I watched the whole game. <laughs> I, look, I, I know you think I'm nuts, and I am. I, I counted every time a hitter adjusted his batting gloves during a game with the clock. You know how many times I counted? Twice in an entire game. Two times. What was the old over-under? A thousand? <laughs> it was every pitch. Uh, so, you know, this is a big difference in just the rhythm of baseball that I think is uh, makes it a way more entertaining sport. There's clearly going to be more hits without the shift. Uh, I, I mean, I think good over-under is 4,000 more hits, something like that. There's going to be a lot more space stealing. Base stealing attempts this spring up 50%. Uh, if we had stolen bases being attempted at this rate in the regular season, the last time that happened in a major league season was 1919. 1919, Ty was running around. So I, this is reshaping the game. Uh, it's, at some point, we'll look back on this season 10 years from now, 20 years from now, however many years from now, and think this was the pivotal season in the history of baseball in terms of the way it has affected how baseball is played and how it looks to watch it. Jason, um, I mentioned the word disengagements. There's a lot of our listeners that may not be familiar with all the rules changes until the regular season starts. So you can only throw over to first base twice in between pitches. Is that right? Yeah, you know, disengagements used, used to be a term that was only used uh, for the Kardashian family. <laughs> <laughs> but now it, it really does apply to baseball because disengagements are a really important word. Um, if the pitcher throws over to first base two times, that's two disengagements. Uh, if he throws over to first once and steps off the rubber once, that's also two disengagements. And then here's what can happen after two disengagements. He can't throw over there anymore unless he successfully picks off the runner. And so we, we've only had one violation the whole spring for a team that uh, had three disengagements, a guy thrown over twice and got flustered and stepped off a third time. And that, so that was a balk, and the runner went to second. But we have had some times uh, just a few days ago, uh, Whit Merrifield, you know, he's dancing around over first base. He's a two-time stolen base champ. And he, he, he draws two throws. And after he draws the second throw, he takes a huge lead. That's what I was going to ask. And as, yeah, as soon as the pitcher like makes first move toward home plate, he gets such a big jump that, I mean, the catcher couldn't have thrown him out if he was 12 feet in front of the second base, let alone 90 feet, you know? So I guess it's 114 feet, but uh, so that's a huge deal. But I've also seen after one pickoff move, teams that just take off on the assumption that you already threw over once, you're probably not going to throw over twice. Yeah. So the, that that whole cat and mouse game, wow. that element of strategy is really different and really fun. Jeez, and here I was thinking the clock management referred to football coaches using their timeouts correctly at the end of halves and games. <laughs> I guess it's not that way anymore. Let's talk about yeah. the young faces of the game. We like to have that conversation out here in Seattle for obvious reasons. With Tatis's issues the last couple of years, I think Julio Rodriguez has become the young face 
of baseball. You have, in my estimation, four things going for him. The home run derby last year, the performance on the field during the season last year, the contract extension, you know, historic in some ways last year, and then what I love, the smile and disposition of the player. I think you put those four things together, and we out here in Seattle who have an inferiority complex believe, you know, Julio is the face of the game like Junior was the young face of the game years ago. Yes? He's very Griffey-esque. Uh, I don't know that he's the face of the game right now, but, you know, if I were in charge marketing in baseball, and I used to have a daughter who uh, worked in baseball marketing, mm-hmm. I would strap the sport to that guy's back and see how far I could ride him. You know, if this were the NBA, it would be very different. The NBA has done an amazing job of tying its sport to star power. And uh, the way the NBA showcases personality, markets personality, televises personality, monetizes personality, is what baseball should be doing with Julio. I mean, he has got it all. He is the absolute likable, watchable, on-field, off-field product. Mitch, this has to happen. Let's make it happen, you and me, okay? Okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as, as for the Mariners in 2023, people want me to ask you, you know, this offseason, Jason, we all sat here and thought there was no better team to go out and get one of these Bafo shortstops in free agency. I mean, here they had everything. They had the pitching. They had the, the, the playoff run last year. They've got the great rotation, the young stars in the rotation. They got Julio. They needed a middle, middle of the infield aircraft carrier in the middle of the lineup. And, of course, it made too much sense for them to actually go out and do it. So they didn't do it. And now we ask ourselves, are they good enough offensively, the Mariners, to chase down the Astros in the West and be a significant kind of World Series contender? Yes or no? Uh, I think they're a World Series contender. I think they need more to go right than the Astros. I would pick the Astros. Uh, I mean, the Astros are just a monster franchise. But I love the Mariners. They're, they're, they're just a quality of fun to that team that they're going to be a must watch kind of team game one to game 162 and beyond. There should be a beyond that's a, that should be a playoff team. They just, things have to happen exactly the way Jerry DePoto dreamed them up. I think on the pitching side and the offense side, for them to catch the Astros. Am I wrong about that? Just the Astros have more margin for error. Which leads you to the next question, which is, and I hate to ask it during spring, but you probably know the answer. When we get to the deadline based on contracts and who's the impending free agents, who are going to be the names? Or is it too early for me to ask you? Who are going to be the offensive names uh, at the deadline mm-hmm. around baseball that people are, are talking about? I mean, I haven't really dug in on this a whole lot but i mean i think the two that are obvious and really we should start with the one who's the most obvious and that's a guy named otani yeah i like i actually don't believe the angels are going to trade that guy i don't uh he's not just their best hitter 
He's not just their best pitcher. He's their best money maker. You know, the, the money comes in handy. So he's a, he's uh, just an incredible source of revenue generation worldwide that I think is going to be really difficult for them to move. But if they do, how long is the line? Right. And then the other name who we've heard about all winter because he demanded a trade is Brian Reynolds, who's right. uh, an outfitter for the Pirates, really talented guy with three years of control left. So I, I think it starts there. Mm. When you and I are chatting again a year from now, when I run you down in Clearwater, Florida, a year from now, Shohei Otani will be playing where? Uh, I'm going to go Dodgers. I know a lot of people think Mets because Steve Cohen will spend – he doesn't care how much he spends. Here's what I think. Uh, if you if you ask teams who were in the negotiation with Otani last time around, they all thought he didn't want to play in the East Coast. He wanted to play on the West Coast. Maybe like maybe the dollars that Steve Cohen offers them and the Mets will be so outrageous that he can't say no. But I, I think the Dodgers are clearly saving up and have their eye on that guy. And I think he has his eye on them. And so I think there'll be a lot of teams. I think the Mariners will be one of them. I think the Padres will be one of them. Who wouldn't be want to be one of them? But I just think the Dodgers are the team. And you what, can get back to me in a year and tell me what a dope I am. That's fine. What are the numbers like? Ten years, six hundred million, something like that. I just was w- with a bunch of uh, people at a game yesterday, uh, kicking this around. Let's see, the top of the pitching market right now is. 43 million per year, right? Uh, Colin Verlander. And the top of the hitter market, what, what's Aaron Judge now? He's 30. 60. I think he's, yeah. 360 for four. Right. So that's 40 million a year. Uh, and this guy hits like Judge and pitches like Cole. <laughs> pitches like Scherzer. So is it 80? 80? Uh, oh. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, God. Uh, it's I, I like. There's no number that he could get on the other end that I would would say, nah, I wouldn't do that. Uh, he's, you've never seen anybody walking on a planet like him. But I, I, I do think the most likely dollar figure is 50 times 10. Okay, 500 million starts there. Last question for Jason Stark of the Athletic. Give me the best three teams in your estimation right now in the American League the three best teams in the National League, as you see them right now? Oof, wow. Okay. I mean, the the Astros are the best team on paper in the American League. Okay. The Blue Jays are the best team I've seen so far. And then, I mean, a lot of people would, would have said the Yankees three weeks ago, but they've had a lot of stuff happen. So then I think you've, you've got a group and – the Mariners, to me, are not just in that group, but at the top of that group. Okay. So they're, okay. they're very capable of being one of the top three teams in the American League. Okay. National League, I think the Dodgers have taken a big step back on both sides of the ball. I saw the Cardinals the other day. I'm not sold on them. So I, th- I just think it's logical to look at the Padres and the three NL East teams. Because Bryce Harper's missing from the Phillies for a good chunk of the first half, I think you would have to go in some order, Braves, Padres, Mets. That might be the order. But those three teams could win the World Series. The Phillies could still win the World Series. The Dodgers, if they make some big move in midseason, could still win the World Series. But that's probably the group. Does that make sense? Been a huge fan 
of Jason Stark for a lot of years. He was great with us on the radio show when I made him wait 30 minutes to do his uh, his <laughs> weekly segment. He'll never he'll never <laughs> let me live that down. But I was on time today. I'll have all of our listeners know I was on time today. The great Jason Stark <laughs> of The Athletic. Have a great year and all the best to all you guys. I love The Athletic. I was a subscriber since day one. Thank you, Jason. Mitch, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Be well. He's back. The president of Zeke's Pizza, Dapper Dan Black. How are we doing, Dan? Good. We're dapper this week, huh? <laughs> we are <All> dapper. Right. <laughs> we are dapper this week. I just spoke to Lindsay at Daniel's Broiler, and since it's award season in the NFL, yeah. I'm hoping that Zeke's can participate with the things that are happening in your world. Are you ready to go through three major awards? Mm, we'll see. I think so. <laughs> Geno Smith just won Comeback Player of the Year in the NFL. Who's the comeback player? What is the comeback player of the year for Zeke's? I'm going to give you two. We've got a tie, actually. Okay. So our Redmond location just reopened after a great remodel. So it's a full Northwest pizza pub with a beer bar right now. So that's pretty fun. That's okay. definitely a good comeback because okay. it was closed for a little while. And then we just launched a new app, which has rolled out to about half of our stores, and it's working really well. So for people that are on the new app and are about to be on the new app, uh, ordering's never been easier. So the app in Redmond. What's the biggest difference in the app? The customer interface is super easy. It's super intuitive. So literally after you've taken about 10 seconds to sign up with your email and stuff, pizza is like two button pushes away for the rest of your life. So it's really easy. And then we got rewards for the first time as well. That's cool too. Everybody knows that the Seahawks had a bunch of very solid rookies. I, yeah. need, a, I need a rookie of the year in the Zeke's pizza world. I'm going to go with a beer on this one. As we've talked about, we do a lot of collaboration beers with our brewing partners and we did one with Fremont Brewing this summer called Z-Side Frozen IPA and we couldn't keep it in stock it flew off the shelves and it was a fun one and so we're working on some more collabs this summer we're probably going to do some with Rubens Brews who's our main brewing partner I think I've told the story but we helped launch them back in the day we met them at a brewing party in Finney Ridge and part of the reasons they became a commercial brewer was because Zeke's agreed to buy their products so that's Zeke's and Rubens have a really close relationship. But Dan, there's got to be a location that also should garner some rookie of the year status. No. Yeah. I'm going to go Seward park. Uh -huh. It's cool because it's become a total destination for NFL football games in the bar. And so that has been super fun. And then I'll throw Spokane in there too. And you're not going to like this, but they've become a destination for GU basketball games. <laughs> it's, packed, it's packed out with students every game. All right. The only way that you can make up for that, Dan, is to call Mitch Levy your MVP. If I'm not your MVP, then what is or who is the MVP this year for Zeke's? Yeah. Well, you're 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 MVP one A. You know, I'm gonna go with the cherry bomb. The cherry bomb is our most popular pizza, and it's it's the perennial favorite. It's the anchor of the menu, and I can't order cherry bomb enough. And most people I know can't order cherry bomb enough. Okay, we got the award, Zeke's Pizza. You love Zeke's Pizza. What a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered and Zeke's Pizza, of course, is homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. McDonald's Big Mac. It's more than just another hamburger. 
There are two all-beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, and onions on a sesame seed bun. Seven great ingredients working together to make one great taste. Two all-beef patties, special sauce, cheese, lettuce, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. Get the idea? Episode 230, Mitch Unfiltered, continues with a man who has decided that he needs to shed a few pounds and get healthier just like the rest of us. But his plan is, shall we say, a bit counterintuitive and has gained him some national notoriety. TikTok, television, recently featured on the Today Show and others. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Nashville, Tennessee's own Kevin McGinnis. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. So, Kevin, before we give people the punchline... It might be interesting to know more about you. Who are you? Who is Kevin McGinnis? Well, I was I was born when I was very, very young. It's true. I, I can prove it. But I grew up on a ranch, breaking and training horses. Turns out training people and training livestock have a lot of similarities. Sugar cubes and cattle prods, and you can get a lot done with people. So um, when my dad passed away when I was 16, I left school, 10th grade, started working three jobs to make ends meet. Uh, my mom and I literally lost everything, lived in a camper shell out of the back of a truck for an extended wow. period of time. So I don't come from money. I come from a complete lack of money. But luckily, when I got into the corporate world, turns out coaching, training, developing people is a kind of a valuable skill. And I was able to get results with teams. And the next thing you know, companies like Microsoft, Orbitz, Oracle, Hewlett Packard have all had me come in to revamp their training programs, executive leadership programs. So that's my whole world, coaching and training people to the point where professional athletes former professional athletes. I coach them on how to become business athletes, how to run their, how to run a successful business. I teach middle-class how to become millionaires. I help people retire early, get out of debt, get kids through college. So my whole world is about focused on helping others from their financial health. And now all of a sudden I get no notoriety from that. But now that I'm focusing on my personal physical health, I eat a Big Mac on TikTok and boom. So 56 years old, about my age, Military vet, father, grandfather, former wrestler, former boxer. We heard the sports tie that you coach athletes about their playing, you know, life after their playing career, some NFL players. So you wake up one day, Kevin, and you're 238 pounds. How how tall are you, Kevin? Five foot nine. Five foot nine, (laughs) 238 pounds, and you decide what? And how did you come to this realization and idea? Yeah, no, I five foot nine, somewhere along the line. I don't remember when I heard it, but at some point I heard that the waist of 40 inches, if you're as a man, if your waist gets over, that's your your waistline is your lifeline. And if it gets over 40 inches, it's like a death sentence. Um, So and and I'm not bashing anyone who has a waist bigger than that. I'm saying that's what something that was told to me that I heard that early on and it stuck with me. And I don't know when I heard it. I wish I could tell you. But something about the number 40, when I saw 238 on the scale, I'm like, 240 is not going to happen. There is no way I'm ever going to get to 240. Something has to change right now. I decided at that moment that I've got, I'm going to cut. I, when you're boxing, so I, I actually was a professional bull rider. I rode saddle bronx bulls, team rope and calf rope. So I've actually been down the road rodeoing, and there's times you're not winning. You have to live on a hamburger a day. And I know when I would do that, that my weight would go off. I also had my jaw broken 
twice uh, with rodeo and when they wire you shut and you can't put food in guess what you get thinner you lose 25 pounds fast <laughs> when you're not able to eat that's a fact so why did you just call me i would have come over there and, and socked you in the kisser for god's sake <laughs> I'm, i'll tell you what there's a bunch of people who want to right now because they're like oh you're leading people astray right, but right, so tell people what you decided to do but how you came how you came to the whole thing I told my wife, I said, you know what? Every food around the house, everything around here, I, I, I walk in, I overeat, I'll eat seconds and thirds. I'll go into the cupboard, grab some more food, food throughout the day. I've got to get away from the house. I got to get to where I get away from all this. That is just too easy. It's too, and I, and I can't have the rest of the family not have food around. That's not, that's not going to be okay. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do this, eat outside the house. My, I'm a big guy. My last name's McGinnis. So big Mac has been a nickname that's been thrown around at times. So I'm like, why not just embrace that? I'll eat McDonald's. There's five things that cause me to help people when it comes to their finances. There's five things I think that help people get in shape. First one is a big reason why. So I had the big reason why my kids, my grandkids, my wife, my dad passed away at 55, overweight, died of a heart attack. And we had to go through all the multiple trips to the hospital for the health issues. I didn't want my kids and family to have to go through that. And so there was my big reason why you have to have some sort of target at least 50 pounds off in a hundred days. That was my target. There's gotta be a plan. So my plan was I'm going to go ahead and eat three meals a day, but I'm going to cut each of those meals in half and seek the heat before I eat, meaning wait for that burn in my stomach before I added new food. That tells me my incinerator's on, it's cooked off all the food in my body. And it's actually pulling from my fat reserves, letting me know it's okay to have another meal at that point. So seek the heat before I eat three meals a day, and then there has to be a, a food log. If you're going to get get in shape, one of the biggest things they say is you should have a food log. I'm like, why not a video food log where I can post it out there and just see every time I eat is on video. So I'm not going to cheat because I'm videoing it. And then the final thing is accountability. If you want to get a goal, if you want to help someone reach a goal, put some accountability, put some consequences if they mess up, but put some little gold medals if they win. And this checked all the boxes this had all of them going on for it and now i've got million i mean my one video has over two million views so there's millions of people waiting to see me slip they so, want me to step on a banana peel so you're eating mcdonald's only only mcdonald's for 100 the whole days. menu the whole menu yeah. 100 days in a row correct the attempt is to lose 50 pounds and not do it in an unhealthy way from a blood standpoint we'll get to that when you say you're eating half a meal, I, I heard that and I read that and I and I found that to be ambiguous because there's a million different meals. There's there's cheeseburgers and double cheeseburgers and Big Macs <laughs> and double Big Macs. Is it any meal that's on the menu or does it have to be one certain meal that you're cutting in half? Yeah, great question. And I knew going into this, there'd be some meals that are bigger and some meals that are smaller. So all of the numbered meals, over this hundred days, I'll, I'll have eaten every single one of the numbered meals on the menu. So everything from the big breakfast, which, oh my God, that is a big breakfast. I don't even know what it is. <laughs> tell, it's tell three me. pancakes and oh. sausage and okay. eggs and hash browns and a biscuit, Jeez. which I swap out for an English muffin. So when you eat half of that, it's still a lot. I mean, that's a big meal, right? Okay. Um, and then there's, you know, your parfaits. <laughs> 
which which I've seen other people post online where, oh, I did McDonald's for 30 days and they ate salad and parfait. They didn't eat McDonald's. They ate salad and parfait out of McDonald's. This is every, so the other day I had I didn't even know I could have this option. I had biscuits with sausage gravy, hash browns. I added a chicken patty to it and cheese on top of it. I mean, it was amazing. It was a great, delicious breakfast, but I just cut it in half. So all the numbered menu items, but also I've asked the people following along. Hey, any secret menu hacks, anything else you guys would like to see? And they <laughs> they did me wrong the other day in two ways. They, they had me eat oatmeal for one of the meals, which is I'm like, really? And uh, they also had me do the land, sea and air, which is a burger patty, a chicken patty, a fish filet, cheese, all on one sandwich. <laughs> and uh, even though I cut it in half and ate half for lunch and half for dinner, that and the oatmeal in the morning, I still went up a half a pound the next day. Obviously, it was the oatmeal. It's the oatmeal that did uh, me in. <laughs> how is McDonald's the next day or even many, many hours later? I heard you on one of the television interviews talking about how you prepare your McDonald's, your leftover McDonald's. So most people think that, oh, leftover McDonald's, leftover French fries are terrible. The, again, I have to give a shout out to the community that watches and, and is, you know, given comments and half the comment or about a third of the comments are you can do this. A third of the comments are you're going to die. Rest in peace. Um, and then there's the people in the middle, like eating popcorn, watching what's going to happen next. <laughs> Right. But the comments were put the French fries in an air fryer or put them in a dry skillet. And sure enough, either one of those works really, really well, brings them right back to life. The hamburgers, I stick them in the microwave with a little cup of water next to them, and it actually re-steams the bun, and they come out soft and, and delicious. And okay. it's just as good reheated when you do it that way. All right. Now the obvious. The obvious is blood pressure, cholesterol, blood sugar. You know, all the important attributes to your blood. You went to your doctor before you started this. You told him or her that you were going to do this. You went to a cardiologist before this or did you not? Um, I actually did talk to doctors ahead of time and I've talked to a bunch of doctors since. And it is uh, no, a no, no, mixed... no, no, I, I, uh, I want to ask again. Did you talk yeah. to your doctor? Yeah, I don't I don't have a primary care physician. I don't have a primary cardio cardiologist. You don't. I don't. You don't go. I'm, I'm on VA medical. I do go in for regular checkups okay. or if something's wrong, I go in and have them, you know, check out what's wrong. Okay. So um, right. I'm not on any medication. I probably should be, people say, because of the <laughs> making this decision, but I'm not on any medication. Okay. And, uh, but I did talk to, and, and it's a mixed bag. Every one of them will tell you that obesity is the number one problem. I mean, for ever, for all of us, how many health issues come from obesity? And on every scale, five foot nine, 238 is obese. I don't care who you are. That's just, it's, it, and I'm, I'm not bashing anyone out there. Just look at the scales. And I'm not talking about the physical scale you stand. I'm talking about the, the, the charts that that's called obesity. So I knew that wasn't good for me. I know some overweight 60 year olds. I don't know a lot of overweight 80 year olds. So I knew I had to make that change, but the answer is it's a mixed bag on, yeah, you'll be fine. Even nutritionists. Yeah. You'll be fine for a short period of time doing it. And there's other doctors like, oh, you're crazy. You're leading people astray. You're going to kill yourself. Right. Um, my belief was because I wait between meals, I seek the heat before I eat, meaning I wait until I've burned all the food off and my body is actually pulling from the fat reserves. People are like, oh, but you're going to, you have the triglycerides and the cholesterol. Yeah. Think about it. When you actually don't eat and your body has to use some of your fat for fuel, where does it mobilize that fat to? 
your bloodstream. So it's actually cleanse. It's pulling through, filtering through and move the bloodstreams, moving it throughout your body. So my belief was because I'm burning everything off, it's going to be pulling from my bloodstream. So my cholesterol would go down. My triglycerides would go down. That was my, my hypothesis. Okay. But Kevin, do you know, do you know exactly what those numbers were on day zero? Before you on started day four. This? on day four, day four. Okay. Yeah. So I day four when got a blood test and then 14 days later, we got another blood test. Okay. And everyone, when I told everyone on, on Hey, we're going to do a blood test tomorrow. All these people chimed in. First of all, everyone chimed in. You're going to, you know, your triglycerides are up, your blood pressures, you know, so much sodium. You're going to, it's yeah, all going to explode. Yeah. Right. And then my, I did the first blood test and they're right. I mean, my blood work was bad, but it's not from McDonald's. It was from everything I was doing up to starting McDonald's. I had, oh. my blood work was terrible. Cholesterol, LDL, the bad kind of cholesterol, way out of range. My A1Cs, which is your you know diabetes markers, my risk for heart attack out, uh, triglycerides out of range. Everything was in re all these reds on the blood report. And then uh, went back 14 days later and people are like, yeah, you're wasting your time. You have to wait another month before you do blood work. There's no way in a couple of weeks it's going to move the needle. Same lab, same blood. You know, so any lab testing, I use them for, you know, so they did the, the same tests. And 14 days in, everything is better. I mean, triglycerides. You, actually honestly, Kevin, Kevin yeah. would you tell us if everything was worse? I po I posted it. I, I posted the first results and I posted the second. Okay, so good. yes, I yeah. would tell you. Okay. So it's actually, uh, go. Okay. if you don't believe me, follow <laughs> along, find out, right? <laughs> How about exercise? None. I am intentionally doing no, no workouts. No exercise. Um, I, want, I wanted to isolate food. No food has entered my body except from McDonald's, not even a breath mint. No exercise. I mean, I actually pulled up my steps because someone asked. I'm going to be posting that in one of the videos. In the last week, I've, I've averaged a little over 3,000 steps a day, but there was one high day for some reason. I don't know. If you actually take the high and the low out, it's actually about 2,000, 2,500 steps a day. So I'm not getting any walking exercise according to the 10,000 steps a day thing. I'm not doing any workouts, just normal movement. My biggest exercise is I take a bath, pull the plug, and fight the current. That's about it. <laughs> What are you drinking? Water. I drink orange juice, about half the meals for breakfast. I'll have some orange juice with the breakfast, but only half of it. And then the rest of the time it's water. I, I'm not drinking. So I, I was never a big soda guy. I was never a big beer drinker. So everyone's like, oh, you had the beer belly. You might, oh, you, you cut out sodas. That's why it's working. <laughs> no, I was never a big soda drinker. And I wasn't a big beer drinker. So okay. yeah, not. Okay. Uh, how many days in are you as we record this? 18 days in, 20 pounds down in 18 days. And you want 50 over 100. Which which if you look at that tracking, what? It looks like I'm going to be like, I'm going to lose 100 pounds over well, no, 100 should, days. Well, maybe you lose a lot more early when you change. I, that, yeah, out. yeah, correct. Oh, yeah. Boy. Water weight, that kind of stuff came off the first few days. Now it's going to average out to about a half a pound, I think. Have you heard from McDonald's? Have not heard from McDonald's. They have been uh, uniquely quiet. <laughs> Throughout this whole process, <laughs> people are like, are you sponsored? I did. You must be a McDonald's owner. You must be. <laughs> they pay you to do this. Yeah. Uh, hey, ain't nobody paying for my Big Macs but me. All right. Are you go? Are you going to the same McDonald's every day? Or are you at least changing that up? Well, I did. When I got flown out to New York, I went to like five different McDonald's <laughs> in New York. <laughs> 
Uh, uh, the answer is I, I I have a primary one that is just the closest one to my house, which okay. is the Fairfield McDonald's, and they're just great to me out there. They're super nice. We actually had a news crew come through, and they were totally fine with them coming in and filming me there eating. Because everyone's like, "Are you really eating it? Are you just fasting?" Not everyone. There's people who say, "Are you just eating? Are you just fasting and you're pretending you're taking a bite and spitting it out?" No, I'm eating every time I'm eating, and I'm only eating half the meal. So yes, the, yes, there's a primary McDonald's, but there's a bunch of others I, I frequent as well. Kevin, pardon me for not knowing. Wasn't there a guy 20 years ago that there was a movie made of? I read a little bit about it. I, I remember the movie being out, but I never saw it. What was this okay. sim- similar situation? Yeah. Yes. Supersize me and supersize me. The guy had to eat everything they served him. And if they asked, do you want to supersize it? Which was the thing back then he would have ha- his rule was he had to say yes. And he couldn't even make it through the 30 days before he was like on death's door. His organs were going to shut really? down. Oh yeah. Oh, it, it was like horrific, but that's, I'm not supersize me. I'm half size. me. <laughs> What's your wife's name? Melody. What does Melody think of all of this? What do your kids think about all of this? Your grandkids are probably not old enough to understand all of this about grandpa. Come on. You got to be getting some strange faces at home these days. <laughs> yeah, my, my but my you have to understand my wife's been married to me for 30 years so she knows I'm nuts. This is, <laughs> when was the last time you had a meal with your wife? Don't tell me she's on she's eating McDonald's. <laughs> I've actually got videos where I went to Jay Alexander's for her. She's like, "Hey, can you pick me up some dinner?" So I got her a Maui steak and mashed potatoes <laughs> and three cheese. And everyone's like, "What? She's so mean." No, uh, she's not mean, right? She I, I was just on my way and I and I can put the food in the front of the back and <laughs> but no uh, She actually occasionally will say, hey, when you go today, can you bring me back some too? But she's definitely not on the 30 days McDonald's or not on a 100 day McDonald's with me at all. (laughs) So 18 days in, right? Something like that. How crazy is that? 30 years of coaching, training, developing people, training companies at the highest level, no notoriety. I eat a Big Mac on TikTok and all of a sudden I'm famous. How many people, when you say you're famous, how many people are following along? And for those in our audience who don't want to kill you, for those in our audience who don't want to yell, (laughs) get this guy off the podcast, Mitch. He just wants attention. For the other- I never, I never, guys, you can look up. Uh, I did not expect any of this. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a social media guy. I'm not like these like social media people. That's like putting all this stuff out, uh, hoping something catches guys the, I didn't know how to post a TikTok 18 days ago. I did not know how to, oh, my God. daughter had to post the videos for the first two days after so many little you know video clips I was doing, yeah. his stuff was just coming to me. I was just saying dumb stuff and videoing it and she's trying to edit it all. And then she's like, after two days, dad, I can't do this. You have to take over. So she showed me how to do it. And I've been doing it ever since. How do you hit a home run your first time? It it just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, But I mean, I'm totally blessed. I'm totally thankful. I'm just all the support of the supporters have been amazing. All the hate from the haters has been awesome too, because my business is controversial. So I'm not worried about the controversy. How do people (laughs) follow? I'm not a TikTok guy. How do people follow the rest of your 82 days? Yeah, so it's at... Big Mac coaching is the name on TikTok. We've also, my, I say weeks, my daughter has done the stuff on the backside to make sure that things are set up, but she's actually just set up a Instagram and a YouTube page just in case anything happens with TikTok. She wanted to have the videos stored on others as well. But my, my primary focus is just putting, clicking the button. I know how to, I know how to use TikTok. I don't know how to use anything else, but I only know it for 18 days worth. So I still know nothing about it. I, uh, I tried to do this thing called a live 
And I'm like, I can't even turn it off when I'm done. I'm like, I have no idea how to switch this thing. So my, my camera's just going and people are just watching me drive along in my car. Like, how do I even get out of this thing? There it is, ladies and gentlemen. You make the determination for yourself. He's Nashville, Tennessee's Kevin McGinnis. You can follow him on TikTok. He's 18 days in. He's down 20 plus pounds. He's trying to lose 50 over 100 days and do it with good blood work as well as he eats nothing but McDonald's food for 100 consecutive days. And he has not yet heard from Mickey D's themselves. Thank you, Kevin. Thanks for being on Mitch Unfiltered. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Hey, look who's back with us. It's Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning, Evergreen Golf Call, in their new offices. How's everything going over there, Katie? We're all doing well, Mitch. Thanks for having me today. And I understand that we're going taxes on our pop quiz. That's right. So we are actually talking specifically today about the new proposed Washington state capital gains tax. Ah. In 2021, the state enacted a new tax on long-term capital gains that were effective starting 2022. Question number one for you is what percentage is that taxed? So if you have a capital gain, what percentage is it going to be taxed at from the state? Is it 3%, 5% or 7%? It's either 5 or 7. I'll go 5%, Katie. It's actually 7%. Uh-huh. You're taxed at the federal level, either at 0%, 15%, or 20%, depending right. on your, your tax rate. But then additionally, Washington State will take another 7%. I don't like that. I don't like that news. What's question number two? The good news is that not all capital gains are subject to the 7% tax. Specifically, real estate is excluded from this. Right. So whether it's a personal residence or an investment property, you don't have to worry about the 7% at this point from that. Additionally, it's only if you have a specific dollar amount of capital gains. So if you make below this dollar amount in capital gains for a given year, you don't have to pay the 7% tax. But if it's above this amount, you are subject to that tax. What is that amount? Is it $100,000, $250,000 or $500,000? And this is additional to the federal tax that you'll be charged on capital gains. It's either 250 or 500. I'll go the big one, 500. Actually, 250000 So let's say you sold stock and you made $300,000 in 2022. Right. $50,000 above the two fifty, dollars that would be subject to the 7% tax. Understood. Which makes me 0 for 2. I have one last shot. Give me a true or false question, would you, Katie, please? <laughs> All right. I got you with number three here. All right. So right now, the state Supreme Court started hearing arguments just at the end of January of 2023 to determine if this tax is constitutional. So true or false, if you had capital gains in excess of $250,000 in 2022, you will not have to pay the tax until they determine if it's constitutional. Is that true or false? Well, that makes sense. That makes sense that you shouldn't have to pay it until we find out the ruling from the court. So I'm going to say true. Please tell me it's true. 
unfortunately for you and for anyone that has gains above that $250,000, it's false. The courts uh, came out in the last few months and said, if you did have these gains, you will be subject to pay by April. There's a special website that you have to go to log this information. It seems like quite the cumbersome process here. And we're still figuring out what that all means for everyone in the state. So if you have questions about it or are curious if this applies to you, please reach out to us at evergreengk.com to schedule a consultation and learn more. And of course, if it's ultimately ruled unconstitutional, Katie, you'll get that money back. That's right. Evergreengk.com. I don't want to mention that I was 0 for 3. Uh, I thought I was on a roll these last few quizzes. Don't forget Evergreen Golf Call, a terrific partner of Mitch Unfiltered. And once again, it's great to be joined by John Waterstrat, the owner of Fireside Home Solutions. Always a great sponsor, title sponsor of our Beat the Boys competition. John, how are you? Doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. Another football season is in the books, and we know football season is synonymous with fireplaces and Fireside Home Solutions. But still some cold and damp months ahead, John. Yep, there is definitely some cold, damp months ahead. And there's no better time to buy than these couple months. Uh, February seems to always have a little bit of rain and we're getting those cold weathers. Our, our lead times are down. We want you to get those products into your home and keep you nice and cozy and warm. And also we have some great discounts coming. Soup to nuts. What's the time frame now? So we're at about two weeks. Installers are getting a little bit of our lead times down. So two weeks, we can get that product right into your house and no better time than now. Allow me, John, to ask you the question I asked our other partners. How was 2022 for Fireside? The good and the challenges. What would you say? Oh, if I look back on that, you know, stock definitely being one of those big issues that we had. But again, we we were blessed with just great customers and being able to get those fireplaces in and be able to stock products that we needed to and people being patient with us and uh, really thankful to have a great year this year. So if you could snap your fingers and accomplish a few specific goals in 2023, besides your Seahawks winning the Super Bowl, what would they be for Fireside Home Solutions, John? Five star service to all our customers, but most importantly is keep our lead times down. You know, we want to be able to help as many customers as we can out there. And lead times are important, you know, to get through customers, just like if you're at any kind of restaurant or anything, you want to be able to get to those customers as soon as possible. And like I said, I think stock will be better this coming year. We want to keep our lead times down so we can accomplish a lot next year. I can genuinely say that Mitch Unfiltered would not be where we are four and a half years later without our terrific sponsor, John Waterstrat and Fireside Home Solutions, literally the title sponsor of every audience contest that we do on the podcast. So begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. Unfiltered. Other stuff segment. Episode 230, college basketball NCAA tournament time. I'm with the Graz. You and I both have a long, long relationship with the NCAA tournament. As you know, I, I travel. This is a, a very kind of bittersweet three weeks. Heavy hearts I, for both of us. Yes. Yeah. You talked about earlier your dad and how he brought you into the business and he brought you to Iona and he brought you to Jim Valvano at 15. You know, uh, as well as anybody, Graz, my father and I, for 25 straight years, yep. went to NCAA tournaments year after year to follow the, uh, the trials and tribulations of my dad's least favorite college basketball coach. <laughs> we spent more money traveling to watch a guy that we don't like than anybody <laughs> in the history 
of uh, ooh, ooh, college basketball. Ooh, you got to concede. And you guys went to a lot of Big East tournaments too, didn't you? Everyone. Everyone, yes. Everyone of them. So, you know, okay. and you, you, uh, now, I'm going to ask you this, Mitchie, yeah. really quick. Yeah. He's gone now. He's done. Can can the bitterness go away? <laughs> can you look back at, at Jim? Here's Jim Beheim. Jim Beheim played at Syracuse. Yep. Was assistant coach at Syracuse. Yep. Coached at Syracuse. Yep. Is staying in Syracuse. Yep. <laughs> is Syracuse. <laughs> right. Right. I know you're glad to see him go, but is there a little little bit of a little bit of love? A little bit of yeah, a championship. A little, he brought us a championship, a little bit of love. I'll tell you what, I'll I'll answer the question. If uh it's too bad that you can't ask that question today of Bob Levy. <laughs> Bob Levy Bob Levy no you don't know the answer. Bob Levy no. would have a very interesting answer for you. So why don't you ask that question again and I'll play the role of Bob Levy and tell you exactly what he would say to that the answer to that question. Go ahead. So after after all this time after a 47 year yep. legendary career he was yep. a you know, went to the school. He, he, he played. He, he coached. He, he, he's leaving now. He's staying yep. in Syracuse. I mean, can you give him a little bit of love at this point? I could give him a little love, David. The problem is the fucking zone. He won't come out of the zone. <laughs> he won't. He won't come out of the zone. And Graz, you know, the the one thing that my dad hated more than anything. You know how there's these little things in life. That bother us all. Pet peeves, we call them. Sure. Oh, my God. There's one thing that that Beheim did, little thing, that drove my dad bananas. When his guy was on the free throw line, he took all of his guys off the line and sent them back to the defensive side and conceded the re... My dad... If I heard that a thousand times, whether we were in the arena together watching on TV, the guy keeps taking his guys off the line. Why are they? They can't shoot free throws for 40 years. We're watching Syracuse. They're known as a team that can't make free throws and they're just conceding the offensive rebound, the defensive rebound of the other team. How, what kind of an idiot takes his guys off the, oh, my dad could not. He'd never let it go. He would never let that go. That is so funny, man. That is so funny. You know, the thing with my father was, it was different entirely than that. Well, my dad wanted for, and and we went to uh, NCAA tournament games and, and a lot of regular basketball games, regular sure. college basketball games. Sure. My dad cared about one thing. What's that? Good seats. <laughs> yeah, so did mine. Good yeah. seats. Oh, yeah, you got to. If you had front, if you, you know, if you didn't, it, no, no. He wouldn't go to a to an NBA finals game if I had bad seats. It took everything that I had, you know, and I got tickets to when when UCLA won the championship up here at the Kingdom. Yeah. I told my old man, why don't you come up? I got a, I got us a pair of tickets to go to the game. Yeah. And we walk in and of course, you know, they're not down close. They're up in the stands <laughs> in the Kingdom. Yeah. And he just looked at me the whole time walking up there, the whole time just looking at me going, where are we going? I'm like, well, you know, I couldn't get a seats down low. He said, you know, I wouldn't have gone if you told me these were the seats. There. I said, I know you wouldn't have. No, my dad wanted to be seen. He says, no one can see me up there. I want to be seen. So literally. Oh, God, that's funny. So, that's so funny. Sacramento NCAA Regional, I get tickets for him. And I said, not only the tickets for him, he had, he had a group of friends. Uh, from Sacramento, I said I got I got six tickets, so you, me, and and four of your buddies can go to the games. And he looks at me, and I know what he's going to say. And I said, "Don't say it, Dad. 
They're in the front row. <laughs> he says, okay, I'll tell them and we'll go. So he, so he go to Sacramento State games because he, he could sit in the front row. He, he, you know, if, if he had to be down front or he yeah. wouldn't go. Yeah. So I knew that that was the deal. And so I made sure that that was the deal every time we went. Was Al Grosby ever thrown out of an NCAA tournament game? <laughs> no, he was not. Bob Levy was thrown out of an NCAA tournament game. Do tell. Worcester, Massachusetts. Some might call it Worcester. It's spelled Worcester, but it's it's pronounced Worcester, Massachusetts. Home of Holy Cross. Home of Holy Cross. Uh, 1992, I believe. Syracuse playing Massachusetts, which was already a problem for my dad. My dad thought that was terribly unfair that we would have to play Massachusetts in Worcester, Massachusetts in the second round. So he was already on edge. <laughs> he had already, we were in the same hotel as Massachusetts coach John Calipari. And I come out in the hallway. My dad's got Calipari up against the wall telling him <laughs> he's going to, he's going to walk up and down the hallway, knocking on his kids' doors at three o'clock in the morning, the night before the game to wake them up. He's telling them that this is the night before the game. Now we get to the game in Worcester, Massachusetts, Syracuse against UMass. And it right. gets down to the nitty gritty. There's about 90 seconds to go. Syracuse is behind by a couple. And they make a play and what have you. And there's a held ball, Graz. Okay. Now we're sitting. We're not in Al Grosby's seats on the floor. We're sitting about 35 rows up on mid on the midcourt line. A little bit behind what you would see is the three rows of the media along the side of the court. Okay. And there's a held ball with 90 seconds to go. And Massachusetts had the arrow. And then there was a timeout. There was a TV timeout. So the officials yell Massachusetts ball because the possession arrow favored them. And they went to the TV timeout. And my dad is noticing that they haven't swapped the possession arrow back over towards Syracuse. Right. So, so Bob Levy, lawyer. He focuses on this now. Oh, focuses. He starts yelling because he thinks they can hear him from 35 rows up. Change the possession arrow. You forgot to cheat the whole timeout. Change the fucking possession arrow. Change the possession arrow. And of course, you know, and there's a there's a there's an official standing with the ball in his arm while the TV timeout is happening. Right. So he says, Mitchell. Go down there and scream to that official that they forgot to change possession arrow back to Syracuse. I said, are you kidding, Dad? He says, go do it now. And so I go down 30, 40 rows, and I get to a little rope, a velvet rope that separates the right. third the third media row from the fans. And I get to the minute. Now I'm, I'm about 20 feet from the official behind him. The only thing between us are the media rows and, and the velvet rope. And right. I'm and I I'm a little embarrassed, sir, sir. You forgot to change your possession, out, sir, Mister Official. You, you've got, and all of a sudden, Graz, out of nowhere, I feel an arm that just <laughs> shoves me. My dad had come down 30, 40 rows where his son was being ignored, according to him, by this official. Right. He shoves me aside. <laughs> I go, I go flying. He trips over the velvet rope into the media. He's screaming at the guy, you change, don't you ignore my son, you change your possession. Before you know it, Graz, security's called, and they're they're, oh they're ushering Lord. Bob Levy out of the Worcester Centrum. He got, he got thrown out of the, he got thrown out, and I'm watching him go up, and I'm still in the arena. They literally threw him out of the arena 
with 90 seconds to go of a second round game between Massachusetts and Syracuse all over the possession arrow. I got one question for you. <laughs> did they? Did you stay the last 90 seconds? I did. <laughs> <laughs> and and they changed the possession arrow when they start when they started the action back up after the timeout. But yes, Holy security Toledo. guys took my dad out. Uh, right out that of the right actually. out of the Worcester Centrum, and they lost that game to the uh, University of Massachusetts. So there that you was go. The one, that was where the one game I own a one was in the tournament. The one winning game I called in the NCAA tournament was that was the in Worcester, Worcester Centrum. Yeah, there you yeah. go. All right, let me throw some things at you before we finish up episode two thirty. Okay, get you the stuff that's happening in the world of sports that maybe we wouldn't concentrate on, but I think are interesting. Jalen Ramsey, on the day that you and I are recording this, has been traded. To the Miami Dolphins, Graz, for a third-round pick and a tight end who caught. I'm gonna get. I'm not even gonna tell you the guy's name because I don't even know the guy's name. The Rams got a third-round pick for the Dolphins and a tight end. Trivia question: Stump the band, Graz. How many catches did this tight end have a year ago for the Miami Dolphins? The way you set me up, Mitch, I'm gonna say zero. He had one. <laughs> one catch. You were close. You were one off. One catch. How do you like Jalen Ramsey only fetching a third rounder? And the Dolphins, who have Xavier Howard on the other side, an all-pro. Now they've got Jalen Ramsey. Maybe the curse of Dan Marino is finally over in Miami, Gross. Yeah, well, that one's been driving you nuts, hasn't it, Mitch? I mean, that one is that one's relentless, remorseless. Oh. And they did two, right? The guaranteed his yep. fifth year. Yes, they did. Uh, so... Yeah, yeah. I've, uh, Miami uh, senses opportunity, I suppose. Although, you know, can you have enough defensive players in the same division as Buffalo? No. I mean, so that's a smart move. No. I mean, it's a smart move by the Dolphins for sure. Rich Eisen on his uh, NFL Network show, Graz, said this week that he believes that it's not a foregone conclusion that Tom Brady remains retired. He said he heard at the Combine from a couple of different people they were like, hang on, just you wait. Tom Brady is still not completely, completely retired. Do you buy it? There's only one place. There's only one team. And we'd see him twice a year. <laughs> That's right. If exactly Tom Brady's right. coming back, if he's coming back, it would only be, in my opinion, to the San Francisco 49ers. Okay. That would be it. I mean, and I think it's 25 to 1. 25 I mean, to 1. I, I think... Yeah, I think it's a long shot. I mean, I, I, he's now had some time to, to marinate, to to realize that, you know, he doesn't have to do all the stuff that he had to do before. Right. His, his career didn't end the way he wanted it to necessarily, but no one ends the way he wants it to. Uh, I think it's a long shot, but, uh, you know, San Francisco would be the one place that they've got everything else in play. Mr. Irrelevant t- took him almost, you know, to the Super Bowl last Correct. year. Correct. I mean, the, the, if he hadn't gotten hurt in that game with, with Philadelphia, it might have been a better game. Yeah. So, I mean, that would be the only possibility, I would think, and I would say it's a long shot. Over the last week, the official measurements are in, Graz, on young Bryce Young. Now, you just mentioned Tua. Yeah. You mentioned Tua, and there are a lot of people in Miami that for as good as he looks when he's on the field healthy, and he's looked great, at least on the direction of the new coach there, He's still very small. He's just slight. There's nothing right. he can do about it, and he's been a concussion waiting to happen. Here we are on Bryce Young, 5-10 and a quarter. Now, you're Ohio State guy who you said will be the number one pick in the draft. He's much bigger. 
How concerned are we if you're an NFL team drafting in the top four about Bryce Young's 5'10 and a quarter status, Graz? I think that that jumped out at people. Didn't it, didn't it seem like that jumped out? Uh, wow, he's that short? Um, you know, we had a guy who was a, maybe an inch taller than that here, and he had some success. So I, I don't think that it's going to impact him too dramatically. Okay. Uh, uh, the way people feel about him too dramatically. Uh, I think he's just, you know, watching him play, Mitchie. I mean, he's just a guy who's got it. I, I just think that there, there are too many skills there to, to to say, you know what, because he's an inch or an inch and a half shorter than than maybe we thought he was, uh, we're not going to take him. I think I don't think it's going to hurt him too much. I think, th- I think he'll still go. But you think that C.J. Stroud is going to be the better quarterback, the better NFL I do. quarterback? You do. I thought that already. I mean, I thought that already. Okay. I, I thought C.J. Okay. Stroud proved that against the Georgia team. Okay. Lamar Jackson's story is crazy. Yeah, it is. The Baltimore Ravens couldn't get it done. They slap on him something called the non-exclusive tag, which means yep. they guarantee him one year $32 million. You get $45 million for the exclusive tag. And they're daring another team, Graz, to sign him to an offer sheet, pay them two first-round draft choices, and then they have the right to match all this stems from the fact that he wants Deshaun Watson's contract. It's plain and simple. When Jimmy Haslam and the Haslam family gave Deshaun Watson that crazy deal, five years, $230 million with every dollar guaranteed, and that's the key here. Every right. dollar. Lamar Jackson said, wait a second. If Deshaun Watson, who's been out of football and there's red flags all over him, can get $230 million guaranteed. I want every dollar of my deal guaranteed. The Ravens weren't willing to go there. Should they have been willing to go there? Should teams give these quarterbacks and these players fully guaranteed contracts, Gross? Well, yes, they should, but I mean, you know, they don't have to, so why would they? I mean, you know, in all honesty, uh, that, that's the that's the problem with the NFL is those contracts aren't guaranteed. You know, the other interesting factor in here, Mitchie, is Lamar Jackson is his own agent. Right. So he doesn't have an agent doing his bidding. He's got to wait, you know, and, and do all this himself. You know, I, I've been listening to, didn't you, did you once work for Tony Kornheiser? I did. Yes, I did. Of course. I occasionally listen to his podcast and yep. he talks a lot about DC stuff and a lot about Lamar Jackson and, and what's going on there. And, um... You know, it's it's a puzzling situation because Jackson himself, you know, is is act. Is that the right way to put it? Last year when, you know, he, he said to himself, he, I won't be playing in the playoffs. I'm not won't coming come back. back. Yeah. I mean, really rubbed them the wrong way there. Yeah. Yeah. This is a guy who was an MVP and was an uh, unbelievable MVP. Uh, to answer your question, I think the Ravens are willing to cut the cord from him. And I think they're daring anyone to do it. I don't think anyone's going to do it. I don't think because I think you got to give up two first round picks. Two do you first, not? You do, and two hundred thirty so, million. Yeah, and two hundred thirty right. million guaranteed. So I, I think I think you know Jackson's going to be sitting there for a while. Okay. Because it's gonna it's gonna I don't think I don't think that's going to happen right away. And it doesn't seem like the Ravens are that interested in doing anything right now. Well, I'll I'll have you know, Graz, there is a Baltimore ice cream shop called the Charmery that released a new flavor this past Friday. It's called. Hey, Lamar flavor. Mmm, delicious. It features peanut butter and caramel ice cream with roasted peanuts and chocolate chips, and it's reminiscent of the payday candy bar. <laughs> they want him to pay 
Lamar, how do you think Aaron Rodgers will look in a New York Jets uniform? It looks like that's bound to happen. Aaron Rodgers, if he wants to play football and he'll willing to do it on the Jets, will be the next quarterback in New York. How about that? Yeah, I'm seeing the same thing. Essentially done. And, yeah. and Green Bay, Green Bay's ready to, ready for him to go. I mean, the Packers have, have gotten tired of this. You know, uh, they were tired of it. I think last year, for that matter. So um, it seems though Rodgers just has to approve the deal. I think, you know, I like Robert Sala, like him a lot from even from his days back here. He, he turned a corner, I thought, with that Jets team, which has got a good defense, a couple of exciting young wide receivers. Yes. It's not a bad, not a bad spot to be in. Last guy to win in New York. We, we you know, it's been a long time since anyone won in New York is a better way to put that. A long time since anyone's won in New York. And Rodgers has got to be looking for a situation where he can win right away. And this is this is one of those situations, I think. And and I Mitchie, I mean, all of a sudden, the, the AFC East yeah. is looking ferocious. For, yeah. If Aaron Rodgers joins the joins the party with with, uh, with Miami and with with Buffalo, what they're doing, and and there's still that guy Belichick in New England with something up his sleeve, uh, the AFC East is becoming the the beast conference. The question I have about Rodgers, Graz, is is he still Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, you know, I watched. I think a, he I, is. I watched a lot of them last year, and. There were moments, it's funny, it was mixed as you would expect it to be, but there were moments that he looked like the MVP, the Super Bowl champ, one of the great quarterbacks of all time. But there were stretches where he didn't. And then in the offseason, we started to hear rumors that Green Bay's management was dissatisfied with the way he got himself prepared. I don't know if you read that. For the 22 season, they thought that he didn't get himself in the right shape. Now, maybe that's just you know, spilt milk at this point. But I don't know, what kind of Aaron Rodgers would the Jets be getting? But you're right, the Jets, I mean, think about it from this standpoint. I don't know how often it is, maybe it's the only time, that one NFL team had both the offensive and defensive rookie of the year. The same NFL team, the wide receiver from Ohio State won offensive player of the year, a rookie of the year. And the defensive player that we talked about, Sauce Gardner, he won defensive player of the year. Can't have happened very often that the same NFL team has both of those guys. They do. What version of Aaron Rodgers would the Jets be getting, I guess is my question. Revitalized uh, with a chip on his shoulder. I mean, this is, I think, part of the – I think of Joe Montana going to Kansas City. You know, it it wasn't as as brazen as having a Steve Young ready because that's not what what Mr. Love is, is is, uh, heir apparent there. But uh, Joe Montana went to Kansas City with a chip on his shoulder and had a 13-3 and year with the Chiefs and okay. probably should have gone to the Super Bowl. Uh, you know, Brett Favre, when he when he left to Green Bay, you know, and went to Minnesota, had a fantastic year, though it ended badly in the playoffs for him. Um, and he actually had a, a decent run with the Jets, too. Uh, I think Rodgers is, is motivated, uh, at least to prove Green Bay wrong, at least for one season, I would think. Okay. And and didn't the Jets also hire um, the quarterback? His, his personal quarterback whisperer, the man who yes. wrecked Russell Wilson. Yes, yes, Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett, Hackett. right, right, yeah. So they got a comfortable spot for him there. Yeah. I think I think he'll do well. All right, we always end these episodes. You might know this cross from being a listener every once in a while. We always end with hot shot. So we'll end with you with the RIPs, those that have left us behind the last week since the last show. Three names, all of which will be familiar to you at your age. Okay. We'll start with the sports one. Otis Taylor, remember him? 80, he was 80 years old, the wide receiver of the 70s 
and the Kansas, Kansas City, City Chiefs. Chiefs. Remember the high step in Otis Taylor? I think he wore number 89, Graz. Yeah, it was big. It was one of the first big wide receivers. Yes. Uh, a, a Hall of Famer. Uh, Elmo right on the other side. But he was he was a tremendous player for Hank Stram on those championship teams. Packer, uh, the Chiefs had at least two AFC championships and won one Super Bowl with him. He was terrific. Len Dawson to Otis Taylor, right, was the yes, combination sir. in Kansas City. We lost him at the age of 80. Actor Robert Blake from Beretta, 89 years old, more recently was accused That's not of, what he's, yeah. Uh, yeah, was accused of murdering his wife. I guess he was found not guilty in that murder trial. But it essentially ruined his life and ruined his career. We never really heard from him again. Passed away at the age of 89, Graz. Well, we hadn't heard much from him before that. And, right. and uh, it's too bad that that's what popped up. But, you know, you know where he first, the first, I don't know if it's the first big movie he did, but one of his first big movies was in Cold Blood. Yes. The Truman Capote story. Which right. Was, I don't uh, think I ever saw that. Tr- I don't even think yeah, I ever saw that. Yeah. Spooky. But yeah, Robert Blake. Remember, did the commercials knock it off my shoulder? No, that was that was not oh, was Robert, Robert Conrad. Robert Conrad. From, Robert Conrad. From Battle of the Network Stars. Robert Conrad. Remember the <laughs> Joe Frazier is drowning in the pool. He's drowning Someone in the pool. get Frazier. <laughs> Somebody get <laughs> Frazier out of the pool. He. Uh, my, my favorite part of that story is, is that each of these guys could enter in the Battle of the Network Stars you know, six or eight competitions and skip a couple. And Frazier entered himself knowing he didn't know how to swim in the in the swimming relay, the swimming race, for God's sake. Someone probably dared him. <laughs> and I don't know if you're a uh, a Fiddler on the Roof fan, Graz. Have you? Chaim Topol, age 87, what? the original Fiddler on the Roof Broadway show passed away. The original Tevye. The, origi- the original Tevye. This Fiddler on the Very Roof. Very good. Fiddles every night. Yeah, Graz. Oh, yes, I didn't course. expect this was unrehearsed. I, I didn't expect yeah. that. <laughs> uh, which brings us to the end of episode 230. Do you have anything else? Any other pearls of wisdom? Any other questions, comments, concerns, thoughts? What do you got, um, Graz? Well, you know, uh, I, I, we had we had a strange thing happen with one of our pillars of the community this week, Sean Kemp. Oh yeah, we haven't talked uh, about that. Let's do that. Yes, ran, ran through a situation, and I was, uh, you know, I, when the story came out and he was arrested, and it was it was called it was a shooting, a drive by shooting. I thought for the immediately, this doesn't make any sense. I've gotten to know Sean Kemp a little bit over the years. This is a guy people might say, oh, well, you know, he's irresponsible. I mean, think of think of all the all the different kids he had with all the different women. Well, one thing maybe that wasn't told in that story is that he took care of all those kids. He took care of all those women. Sean Kemp gave 40 million dollars back to the Portland Trailblazers at the end of his career because he said he wasn't earning his money anymore. Sean Kemp is a pillar of the local community, has owned two businesses in Queen Anne, the Queen Anne area since the Sonics left and has stayed here in this area and and has promoted this area. You know, had the, the great restaurant there, um, Oscar's Kitchen, uh, by by where the arena is now, and 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 has the the uh, marijuana shop, Sean right. Kemp Cannabis, of which I'm a happy shopper at. Okay. And uh, I was I, I did not think this made sense when I saw this story, and no details came out, and I, I tweeted out that you know until I hear Sean Kemp say something that that yes I did this, I'm going to stand with him because I didn't believe it, and uh, sure enough the next day he was released. 
And uh, his attorney said the, said the right thing about him, that he's a pillar of the community. He's not going anywhere. This will be followed up. You, you know, you can argue about about, you know, what he did. And, and this is America. Unfortunately, we're allowed to have guns and 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 we have them. But, you know, I, I was glad to see that, that Sean Kemp was the person that I thought he was mm-hmm. and is the person that I think he is, which is a, which is a fine person. And I, I felt uh, I felt bad for him. And I was glad that it ended quickly for him. And there wasn't a lot of time for pointless speculation about it. Beautifully said. Beautifully articulated, as usual, from the Graz. Going back over the years, you and I know each other since 1995, January of 1995. So we're about 28 years going. I've said this to you before off the air. I've said it to you many times on the air, both on the radio and on the podcast. I am forever indebted because when I first came to town, there weren't a lot of people that, uh, let's just say, put their arm around me. And I remember one of the first to do so. You weren't working at KJR at the time, which was even more more insightful. Um, you put your arms around me and supported me from day one. I'm, I'm always, I always remember that. My father always reminded me before he passed away, don't ever forget that. And my dad would tell me he hosted an incredible style, your 30th birthday party at Palisade Restaurant, the roast of Mitch Levy. Did you not? I never felt more pressure <laughs> in my life than after that conversation with Bob Levy. Uh... I said to Bonnie, I said, Bonnie, if I fuck this up, I'm in big trouble. This guy is not going to let it go. This guy is not going to uh, let it go. Uh, uh, Mitchie, it's a it's a pleasure. You know, I'll do anything for you at any time, period. Thank you. Thank you. And I'll have everybody know, not only did he not F it up at the 30th birthday party, but he remembered to change the possession arrow as well. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, episode 230 with my friend, the Graz, is now in the books. 